Let's do a show. Yeah. Hey. All right. Uh, it's the Chance of Gaming podcast, and this is episode 50. Hard to believe 50 episodes, and we couldn't... That's awesome. Yeah, we couldn't it's remember. It's all downhill, from, downhill yeah. from here. Yes. This is when it all goes bad. Over the hill. We got the black balloons and everything. Yeah. This is our uh, this is our, cent- our golden our golden anniversary. I think that's the fifty. So uh yeah. So yeah, so we do a show. I'm Adam and uh with me always is Richard and Roy. Good evening, I guess. Usually I say it's evening, but it's actually still light outside. It's so weird. I don't think I've recorded in a while when it was light outside. Hey everybody, I am Roy in Michigan, in Holland, Michigan. And uh, I see a little bit of sun outside here, too. So it's finally getting warm. So, you know, it's being under uh, isolation is is starting to become tolerable, I guess. Yeah, I've got I didn't actually get a chance to play today, but there's a a game I've been wanting to play called Sekigahara. And I was thinking just because it's it's a block war game, it's got some cards and stuff, but I think it's going to be a great game to play on the front porch. And I was really hoping to do that today and get a chance to do it. But I'm always looking for – I've talked about like coffee shop games before, but I'm always looking for like that perfect game that you can play outside because that's just sort of a dream where the pieces aren't going to blow around, small enough to fit on a small table. Oh, mm-hmm. I was really hoping to do that today because it was so nice. You know, I have some of those I can suggest to you that I've played here lately. Hive is one that I've mm-hmm. played. But yeah, mm-hmm. let's hear some more. Uh, so I played a game called Battleship, which you know is what a, I saw yeah? that on. I think it was actually on clearance at the local game store okay. a while ago. But I picked. I, I looked at it. Actually, it was is there maybe even more than one? Is like a Battleship in space or something? I, I'm not sure. So I played this okay. online. Oh, and okay. It kind of feels a little bit like Go, and that you're trying to. Um, occupy as much of the meadow as you can so you have you start out with a stack of 16 sheep tiles and a, granted i played this online so i don't know how uh coffee shop friendly this would actually be yeah but you start out with a stack of 16 sheep tiles and every turn you're going to take that stack and split it and move as in one. it's a hexagonal uh tiles that you lay down and you're going to move in a straight line until you can st- until you have to stop and then that's where you put your second stack of sheep. Hmm. So you can send out one or you can send out, you know, all 15 of them. So you have to Depen- leave one behind. Depending oh, on what the board looks like and what your goals for that turn are? Yes. Okay. So basically every turn you're going to take a stack of sheep and split it and move as far as you can. And the idea is just to occupy the board and make the biggest grouping of sheep. I guess flock of sheep. Um so yeah, I played a game called Battleship, which I think would cool. be a good coffee shop game. What else you got? Uh, Colorado. Let's play with cards though, so okay. I might tend to bore yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's cards can make it difficult, oh, the, I, which is why I was thinking Sekigahara. It does have cards, but you know I could maybe stick something on top of the deck and stick them onto the board or something. But most uh, of the most of the game is is blocks. So there's a game called Onitama, which I have never played before. But it's kind of I've I've heard it's kind of like a, it's played on a four by four grid with uh, four pawns per side. It's a two player game. Okay, I've heard of that. Never played it. Yeah. Um. I guess that's all I have that I've played recently, other yeah. than uh, uh, Lost Cities. But of course, again, that's cards. Okay. 
Have you played Lost Cities before? Uh, no. Oh, that's a that's a good two player game. That's a okay. Ryan Knizia game. Okay. My favorite yeah, the, Wu Tang Clan member. The game <laughs> Hive, I actually bought for the explicit purpose of playing outside. I was going to go mm-hmm. on an extended camping trip and wanted a game to play, and I heard it was good, and and I bought it because it can be played literally anywhere. The pieces won't blow around. You don't even you need a somewhat flat surface, but you could really play it anywhere. Now, uh, Rich, you mentioned um, Sagagahara. Sekigahara. Sekigahara. Uh-huh. Um, GMT? Isn't that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, that's been on my list to hopefully play one day because I found it really interesting because it has – it's a GMT game and it has blocks like a Columbia game. So it, Yes. And plus it's about the unification of Japan? Correct. Okay. Yeah. It's the, the Tokugawa and I don't know, someone else. I don't know the history very well. Um, but, yeah, I picked it up in the GMT sale last year. I, I actually played, started playing it online with someone, I think, last summer, and we got like half an hour into the game, and a big storm came through, and my power went out. We never picked it back up again. Um, but I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I've really wanted to play it. It's a two-player game. It's it's one of those games that's not it's not heavy as far as like, like the rules are complicated, but it's got lots of really good strategy decisions. So it's one I've been wanting to play for a while. I've got it here, ready to go, and it just didn't make it out today. So those are games that I haven't played. Roy, you... <laughs> yeah, 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 it is weird. I, I love how we get off on just a tent. We do. It's, it's, there's no organization. We just go. It's like, yeah, wait, yeah. If you leave us alone long enough, we'll start talking about obscure uh, 80s uh, TV shows that only lasted three seasons or whatever. But anyway... Like Airwolf? Airwolf. Uh, Airwolf was more. Uh, oh, really? I remember that was a big deal because that, that guy died, what, a year or two ago, and then everyone was talking about that show again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Jan, was a cool show. Jan Michael yeah, Vincent. Michael Vincent. Yeah, that's his and, name. And uh, if I remember correctly, he lived in Mississippi when he died, and I was very surprised, very, very surprised that it, yeah, I think so. Excuse hmm. me while I live Googled this. <laughs> and uh yeah he died on february 10th uh 2019 <laughs> i have successfully derailed us <laughs> yes i know it's fine it's okay and uh wow like his last movie was in 2003 and his he did an episode of nash bridges in 97 but let's see uh, airwolf was 84 to 86 he did 55 episodes, so that could have been two or three seasons. Uh, three seasons total. Mm-hmm. See, I remember that because it had uh, Ernest Borgnine in it, yeah. of, all, of all people. No, sorry, it had four seasons. My bad. So when you make the show notes, you should just say, we just talked about Jan Michael Vincent for two hours. Jan Michael Vincent for two <laughs> two solid hours. Uh, yeah, people, I just want to see. Yeah, I just want to see his death. Uh, no, he died in North Carolina. So, I don't know why. Maybe he's from Mississippi or he lived here at some point. I think he got arrested or something. I don't know. Whatever. So, I heard he was not a nice fellow later in life. So, I don't know. Anyway, Roy, what have you been watching What on the TV? What are you currently oh, watching? So, there was a show called, and it's only four episodes, and it's on Hulu. And it's called uh, Hitler's Last Stand. And so it's about the war in Europe after D-Day. So it talks about four different incidents that happened um, 
in between D-Day and uh, actually the last episode happens about two or three days after Hitler commits suicide. But it's that last episode I want to talk about because why the hell hasn't this movie been made about the battle for Castle Itter? They just made a game about it. Did they? Yeah. Okay. So the game uh, Pavlov's House, the same guy that designed Pavlov's House made a game called Castle Itter. And it's it's about I, – I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know a little bit about it, which I'm sure you're about to talk about just because it's such an interesting <laughs> thing that happened. So I'll let you mm-hmm. go on. But, yes, there is okay. a game about it. It's a solitaire game called called Castle Itter. Ah, so uh, to, to talk about Hitler's Last Stand broadly, um, the – the acting in it is pretty good. The effects are okay, but really to tell the, all this, these stories, um, I thought was very cool to hear all the things that were going on in in, um, in the war then. But so to talk about the battle for Castle Itter, there was um, the the lieutenant's name was Jack Lee, and he was a tanker, and uh, he had a uh, a company or whatever of maybe five tanks i'm not sure what the what the, you know how many tanks would make up a, a a unit of tanks but um there the germans were were uh, uh surrendering left and right and there was one incident that happened before this incident i'm going to talk about wherein there were some germans that wanted to surrender but they didn't want to surrender to a lowly lieutenant so they wouldn't surrender to him and so but he took of course, he was a lieutenant. He took an extra lieutenant's bar and he pinned it on his collar and made himself a captain <laughs> for, for the purposes of of securing this surrender. But so to tell this guy's story, he was in a town in Austria and he was approached by a German uh, Wehrmacht officer, a major by the name of Joseph Gongel. And he said, I have information and intelligence about French VIPs that are being held hostage in this castle in uh, in on the border there's somewhere in Austria called Castle Itter. And so he was super like leery of, you know, this guy's bona fides if he was being led into a trap. So it was the uh, lieutenant, the major, so it was two Germans and two uh, American tankers that hopped into a jeep and drove through, um, they went past roadblocks and around every place else, uh, and uh, went to this castle and found these French refugees, or French uh, VIPs that were being held there. And then they had to make their way back to uh, to mount a rescue effort, and they, they started taking tanks uh, towards this castle. Well, they uh, had maybe five or six tanks and several of them had to turn back because they 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 busted a bridge that they were going across. So they had just one tank that they got all the way up to the castle. They backed it up to the gatehouse, and for the next two days they had uh, a siege wherein the the Waffen SS were trying to take the the castle, kill the uh, the the German tank or kill the American tankers, kill the French VIPs, and all this stuff. So there were so many. Um, aspects to this story that have to be made into a movie there's some women in the castle so there's the love interest uh um aspect there's at one point there is a french uh tennis star who's being being held at the castle 
who dresses in Austrian peasant garb, garb and uh, jumps out the window, and he's running for help. So he's there's uh, he has to like go into town to try to uh, get help from the Americans that may be nearby. At one point, they they don't know what to do because uh, the Germans are starting to overrun them, and the telephone rings. Well, nobody had any idea there was a telephone in the castle, and the uh, American lieutenant picks up the receiver, and it's the Americans on the other end of the line. And so he starts talking to them, and before he can like give the disposition of all the troops or of all the Germans that are uh, surrounding the castle, the line goes dead. So there are so many aspects that just it seems like it it would make a very great uh war film and that's called the battle for castle itter and it is a fascinating story and that is available on uh, hitler's last stand is the last episode of that so is that do you have to subscribe to hulu to see that or can you see it even for free i'm not sure you know it's so it's a national geographic uh channel show so it might be available on disney plus but i Man, maybe yeah, not though. But anyway, that's a, it's a it's a cool show. I've I've enjoyed watching that. Have you got to play any games? I have. So uh, I've been playing on a website called Board Game Arena, which people may know about. Um, and so all the games that I have listed here, I've played uh, on Board Game Arena. Uh, so I played a game called Noir Killer vs. Inspector, which is a two-player deduction game. Where you're, uh, you're. If you're the killer, of course you're killing uh, suspects. And if you're the inspector, you're one. Of, the inspector is one of the characters in the field of twenty-five. So one character in there is the killer. One is the inspector. Of course, the killer is trying to kill the inspector. And the inspector is trying to arrest the killer. The killer can only kill uh, uh, suspects that are near him. And then he can, you know, move around a little bit. So it's a uh, it's it's a cat and mouse game with hidden movement. And so that's uh, Noir Killer versus Inspector. And then I played a game called Coloretto, which I talked about before, which is a um, it's a set collection game, I guess. It's a very kind of pretty simple uh, card game. So it has a small footprint. So it fits it fits that that niche of a of a coffee shop game. So Coloretto. And then I played Hanabi, which I this is the kind of the second time I've played Hanabi. The first time I tried playing it in a bar when it was loud and it was, uh, yeah, it did not work out. So, so I, you played yeah. Hanabi online? Yes. Isn't Hanabi all about, like, nonverbal clues, though, and stuff like that? Nonverbal? Yeah, I thought I thought Hanabi was because you, you, everyone can see your cards except for you, right? And yes. it's a co-op game. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I've never played Hanabi, but I know a little bit about it. It sounds interesting to me. I always thought the whole point of Hanabi was kind of the the whole nonverbal clues thing, and I don't mm-hmm. know how that would work online. Well, so we did it uh, with using a, a WebEx client. Oh, okay. Client. Use videos. That makes sense. Okay. Well, no, it was actually it was just uh, um, it was audio only. Oh, okay. Um, but so you can send a clue about to a player saying, uh, uh, denoting number or color. Mm-hmm. So like if Rich, if you have uh, three green cards in your hand of five, I can send you a, you know, I can send all of these cards here are green, and um, then you know that like, or you can send an, uh, a a uh, a clue about value. So you have to play. 
there's five suits in the game. You have to play in ascending order, one, two, three, four, five. And you have to, of course, you have on your turn, you have the option to send a clue, to discard a card, or to play a card. And if you play a card and it's not, uh, you know, it's not in line, so if you if if you need to play a green two and you play a green three, then that's a that's a black mark against you. That's a that's a misfire, and that's gets you closer to losing the game. So it's a game about fireworks, and that's an obby. Now, now uh, you said Coloretto. I've played Zularetto, I'm assuming. Yes. Same thing, mm-hmm. just with animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Coloretto is a much more stripped down... Um, it uses the same same mechanic of draw a tile, place a tile, and then uh, on a later turn you can take a set of tiles. Uh, so basically it's just that mechanic uh, without the the placement of, of, uh, of animals. And let's see, Penny Press is another game I played on Board Game Arena, which is a game about publishing uh, stories in your in your you know your 1900s newspaper. So you're you're sending reporters out, you're collecting, um, you're basically you're putting the legwork in to to publish a uh, a news article. And so there's like five different categories that you can um, that you can make a a, a story in. And different ones have different values, and they're at some point you're going to have to go to press. So all the stories that you have reporters on, you're going to start publishing um, stories about that. Well, each story has a particular size, and it has to fit, in, you know, in, in column inches and all that sort of thing with in your newspaper. Um, you have an ad that you have to work around, and it's about uh, publishing games. Or publishing uh, newspapers. All right. Do you have to find a young lad in a uh, the that, that oh in a newsy cap in the newsy cap where he goes extra extra read all about it? Yeah, <laughs> that's part of the end the end game. Yeah, I got it. It's uh, you get extra points if you if you wear one of those, and you uh, you have a, 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 a uh, an ornery personality. You know, somebody there's a odd bit of history there there was like a newsboy strike that got you know because that was like back before osha and child labor laws and all that stuff that got like kind of really weird and bad and all the stuff and anyway it just made me think like that should be the next um coin game should be like you know something like that see i always want to adapt coin into something that no one would think of like you know i've mentioned like the burger wars of you know the 80s but uh yeah i don't know how counterinsurgency would work with that but yeah just something silly like that late night television yeah oh yeah the late night television wars (laughs) where you somehow you know you got to get your guy on jay leno's show so you can learn what he's doing and yeah it'd be cool we could do this so uh then i played a game called innovation Have, have you guys played innovation before no oh really okay so the it's a very strange game mm-hmm. that um, where you're basically you're moving through the ages, you're making discoveries that uh, up through the like the digital age. So it goes from pre-industrial to the digital age, and you if you have a technology, you can play your technology card down, and it will have a certain number of symbols on it. And if you have the most symbols then you get to do that do whatever it says on that card exclusively. If you don't have the if you have like maybe the second most, 
the person that has the most gets to do the stuff on your card first, and then you get to do it. Um, there are other cards that say, I demand, and if you have more symbols than somebody else, you can demand whatever that is of them. Uh, so Innovation is a very strange game. It's made by Carl Chudik, who is the same guy that did Glory to Rome, if you're familiar with that one. So the only thing I'm familiar with Glory to Rome is the fact that the guys from Heavy Cardboard sort of make fun of it. Oh, really? That, okay. Well, that's like their catch. So I guess every time, if you ever watch like a, a Heavy Cardboard playthrough on YouTube, mm-hmm. anytime someone feels like they just got screwed, they say Glory to Rome. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's the only thing I know about that game. <laughs> so Glory to the Rome is the card game that went to Kickstarter that caused the guy to lose his house. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all um, you had to say for me to remember that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Carl Chudik is the same guy that did Glory to Rome and did Innovation. And I'm he's probably done other stuff before, too. Um, but so, like... Um, Glory to Rome has multiple card uses. So if you play it this way, it's a resource. If you play it this way, it's a patron. If you play it this way, it's something else. Um, so multi, um, multi-role multi cards. And Innovation is kind of the same sort of deal. But Innovation has the weird thing about melding, where you can cascade your cards. Um, if you cascade them to the right, I'm sorry, to the left, that's the... Um, least strong way or you know that's the weakest way to meld them if you cascade them to the to the right then it's a little bit more powerful and you just cascade them up then it's the most powerful um it's it's a strange game that uh, the way i found the way to to do well at is that when you find a winning combination just spam the hell out of it until somebody shuts you down but playing it in person I, find, I found much easier than playing online because I had a tough time paying attention to what other people had uh, going on with their stuff. So I would play a combo that I thought was great, but really I didn't have enough influence to overcome other people's things, and I didn't really do a whole lot. So anyway, that's innovation. Okay. And and then I played uh, Puerto Rico, which is kind of a that's that's kind of a heavy hitter as far as like older games. It's from 2002 and it is a um you're building plantations you're uh building buildings and you're uh you're shipping things out of out of out of the the colony essentially um so puerto rico is a worker placement game now and it's it's also a role selection I, i know we talked about that obscure um game uh settlers of Catan. yes now um you I've know, heard of it. I, I would say that Puerto Rico is probably the second most obscure game. I think, <laughs> you know, when, mm-hmm. again, when like board games were like getting popular, you know, when that Renaissance started, and I guess you really know you made it when like you managed to make it into the local stores in small towns in Mississippi. So mm-hmm. there was Catan, and then like. If you were tired of playing Catan, like the next one was like Puerto Rico. They're like, oh yeah, this is another one of those cool European games. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. This is a game that we bring to the table maybe once a year, but we played uh, two games just, uh, you know, a week apart because on on that uh, board game arena, things go 
this boy sounds like a commercial for them. It's it's all streamlined and it's very easy to to blast through a game. We play yeah. a, a like a full seven player game of se- of Seven Wonders in like twenty minutes. Yeah, it's kind of nice when set up, and I mean, it depends on which platform you're using. I haven't played on Board Game Arena, but some of these ones with where everything is scripted and it takes care of the calculations and the setup, all that, it really does speed things up. Mm-hmm. I will say, um, Puerto Rico is it's got a digital version. I'm almost positive, like an uh, like a, a iOS app. Either that, or it was um, they made a card game version of Port- San Juan, the card yes. game version of Puerto Rico, and yeah, mm-hmm. one of those or both of them, something. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do enjoy San Juan too. Um, and then I played a game called Keyflower, which is the first time I ever played this before. Uh, and so this is, it feels a little bit like. Um, Catan, no, not Catan, Carcassonne. Uh, you are bidding for uh, buildings, so you can send a worker to work at a building, or you can bid to buy it. And uh, you're collecting resources, you're you're connecting up roads, and uh, you're sending goods out to kind of do what they do. And uh, each, so it plays over the course of a full year in you know in, in game terms so uh every season there's a boat that comes to the area with more workers so you can bid on taking workers and it's a um you know i was really annoyed that i kept getting outbid but i, d- I did enjoy the game but i was still kind of perturbed that <laughs> i kept getting out outbid so that's a uh, key flower and then the aforementioned battleship and um I guess I played some uh, Seven Wonders, like I mentioned, and there's probably some others that I've missed, um, but that's what I've been playing. Adam, what you been playing? Uh, me, I have, well, playing, you know, I, I've been, like, thoroughly organizing. That counts, right? Um, I've really been, like, digging through. I made a huge mess of my garage. Um, you know how it is. You, you just tear <laughs> your house apart uh, till you find something that, you know, you're looking for anyway so uh well i guess first thing i should say my dwarves for kings of war finally came back from the printer he's had them for over a year but yeah it's i've got them now and uh yeah and so i've kind of i picked up the rule book and dove way into that in reading it which is really weird i guess yeah this 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 uh quarantine has us all doing crazy things we wouldn't normally do and so i'm reading rule books (laughs) <laughs> and what I'm really enjoying is it's, and that's what we did a Kings of War episode. Uh, that was the last episode. And uh, what I'm really enjoying is it doesn't have like all this extra stuff on it and, and in it. It's basically these are the units, this is what they do, and you build your army like this there's no well for five points extra add a musician and a standard and a champion and okay you can spend 50 points on adding extra crap onto your champion and and all this stuff and then oh he's a wizard too so which although which you know house of magic which book you know and it just gets ridiculous to you know all this stuff that's more game theory than actual game i think it's just you know it's chrome it's just this extra stuff that i don't like it 
And where Kings of War just seems to be just a cut-and-dried fantasy army game, and I, I really like that. I also like the fact that you just build your whole unit on one base, so they have these neat dioramas or whatever. So, anyway, I've been uh, reading into that. I've been buying a lot of Flames of War because it's going on sale. <laughs> uh, every day um, at... So where are you buying it from... Who are you buying it from? Well, you said it's on sale, but... Directly from Battlefront. They oh, do okay. daily deals, and they are ridiculously priced, uh, usually at half off or better uh, on a lot of stuff. And I guess it's stuff that hasn't really been selling because I'm seeing a lot of Team Yankee uh, French stuff, which is great for me because that's what I play. So my French horse has been growing. Although, when it will actually get here from New Zealand, I don't know. Could be <laughs> this time next year. I don't know. Hmm. But, you know, it's one of those things you forget. You know, there's that Kickstarter that you forgot you backed, and it just shows up one day. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, yeah, you haven't even thought about that game. Anyway, uh, I've been doing that, and then my FLGS is... Man, the guy, like, just... Since we went... All our stores were closed a week or two ago, unless you're essential, but they're opening back up Monday. That's good or not, I don't know. Well, they're open up for, like, curbside service anyway. So the guy has been inventorying the store and been, like, eBaying stuff because you can still ship stuff. And as of Monday, uh, there'll be a lot of stuff on discount and he had posted some stuff on Facebook and um, my free French for World War II uh, just got a whole bunch of American Lend-Lease material uh, the other day so yeah I've been doing a lot of that but yeah the daily deals are at like 8pm Eastern so it's like just after the president's address maybe around that time uh, it, it pops up and it's three things it can be terrain it can be some box set it can be a rule book or multiple rule books it's just something out of the various things they do and uh, digging around my stuff if you follow me on twitter at chance of gaming all one word I found some really cool battletech stuff um, that I had had not the stuff I was looking for but it was still really cool and so the, it kind of got me going uh, you know, I once all of this is over, there is definite interest, you know, locally. So, eh, you know, I should probably try to play again, I think. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to try and uh, work on that, I, I, I think, you know. I, that is the thing, you know, you make all these plans when it's, you know, corona time, when you're just sitting in your house and you literally have, like, you know, 18 hours in a day to to dig stuff out, to inventory it, to paint it, to whatever. But, you know, when the world returns to normal, who knows? You know, you may just drop all those ideas. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you know it's, the, it's the best laid plans of mice and men. I hope for it. You know, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll do something good. But, I don't know. Anyway, Rich, what have you been playing? Uh, I started another game of the U.S. Civil War, the GMT game. Um, playing that online started playing actually with a guy from Belgium. So I'm an early bird and it worked out really well. So I think 
we'll probably play. We got we got a full year in, which is the first three turns yesterday morning. We'll probably play over the course of the next few weekends to get get in a game of that. So, I've talked about the game a lot before. I love the game. Um, it's really good. He's a much more experienced player than I am, and I'm playing the south and he's playing the north. So this might actually, depending on how good he is, and if my theory about the north having an unfair uh, disadvantage in that game, we'll we'll see if he can beat me. Then it'll prove my theories wrong that the north can't win that game. So, uh, and so then yeah, in your in your conversations with him, have you talked about Brave Little Belgium? I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> no, I did not. I should do that. No. <laughs> I'll mention that next time. Yeah, next time uh, next week when we play, I'll, I'll bring that one up to him. After he beats you, be like, oh, yeah, well, I've got this one. Boom. Let's play <laughs> yeah. this now. Uh, another Civil War game I've been playing more of, and I've talked about this one before as well, is Atlanta is Ours. Uh, that's great campaigns of the American Civil War. For, it's, a, it's an MMP game. And just last week, my friend and I jumped into the advanced rules of that, which – um, like every time you take another step in complexity in this game, the game just gets better and better and better. Um, and you play the intro scenarios so like, okay, well, the guys get fatigued and you move around, blah, blah, blah. And then you play a multi-day scenario and you're like, wow, these guys don't really recover overnight the way I thought they would. I need to be careful with them. Um, you know, I can't just send everybody full bore into doing whatever I want them to do because then they're going to be too tired to do anything the next day. Um, and then when you get into the, the advanced rules and everything, you're like, well, crap, now I have to keep them close to their general and I have to worry about supply lines and I've got my enemy's cavalry running around destroying my railroads and stuff like that. So it gets it gets more complex, but it gets better at the same time. So the more I play this game, the more I like it. Um, I'm playing Atlanta as ours. I also have the uh, the roads to Gettysburg one also. So. We'll probably play Atlanta as ours for a little bit, and and then just to try something new, we'll switch maps and play the same system, but a, a different area of the war. So that's great campaigns of the American Civil War, Atlanta as ours. And then we played – I played with a few family games as well. We played Spirit Island. Um, I think I've talked about that before. Have you guys played that one? No, but I, I know yeah. you've talked about it. Yeah, it's really good. It's a co-op game. Um, you play – you play like the sort of guardian spirits of this island. Um, it plays one of the cool things. It plays really well on any player number. You basically just it's got a modular island, and you just add another piece for every player that you get. It's it's up to four. I don't think you can play more than four, but one to four players. Um, the guardian spirits of this island that's being colonized. So, you know, the, the colonizers send explorers and they build cities and they build towns and they ravage the land and you have to do things to, to scare them off the island or just kill them. So um, it's a co-op game. It's really fun. I like it a lot. And we played that one. And then I think my little one, probably her favorite game, anytime she gets to pick, she wants to play Clank. So we played that two or three times in the last couple of weeks as well. We just play the original version. We have the Undersea expansion, but we usually don't play it. Um, I haven't played Clank in Space yet. I think that's one that we want to try, but we're all really no, I happy. I have just, played that. Yeah. But I don't – and I haven't played the, the base game. I've heard that Clank in Space is, is better. 
I, I've I heard that too, but we're yeah. happy with the base game, and that's what we've got. I think at some point we might go up, if anything ever opens again, go up to the game store and you'll <laughs> pull it off the, the shelf or something and play Clank in space just to see what the difference mm-hmm. is. But we like playing Clank. It's fun. Um, it's funny because it's, it's one of the – probably one of the few games that both of my daughters are – I say both. I have three, but the two that I play games with are legitimately better at the game than I am. I mean, there's no like letting them win or anything. They are just way better at Clank than I am. They're mm. they take more risks. They end up with more points. They and they they usually kick my butt. So uh, <laughs> yeah, mm. we played some Clank, and then and I've been playing a lot of Gloomhaven lately too. Uh, I've been playing it with my daughters here in the house and been playing it online with friends. We started playing our usual Tuesday night group. We've been playing Gloomhaven for a while. Uh, we switched over to Tabletop Simulator. And it takes a little bit of setup to get used to, but once once you get set up, it, it plays really well. I mean, it, you know, we've, um, we've been using – I've got WebEx from work, so I just set up a quick WebEx call so the three of us can talk over the phone. And we play Tabletop Simulator on Steam, and – plays really well i mean it's just like playing gloomhaven obviously there's it's always nice to be in the room with someone but um the for the actual gameplay i would say that the gameplay of gloomhaven on the tabletop simulator is just as good as playing it in person so that's a good uh good way to play it mm-hmm. yeah I that's kind of what we've been doing too yeah the only problem i have is that since my uh my little one loves Gloomhaven so much. We've been playing so much of it. I'm actually starting to get worried that we're going to start running out of Gloomhaven because I kickstarted Frosthaven, but obviously that's going to be probably two years away, I'm guessing. I don't remember what the date was on that, but we're starting to get to the point in Gloomhaven where we still have characters to unlock and we can replay scenarios, but as far as new scenarios, we're starting to run out of stuff. So we're actually considering just starting it over completely. Aren't there some um, there's some places you can get some, some add-on yeah. content for it, right? Yes, so we have the one expansion for it called Forgotten Circles. We haven't done that yet, so that's still available to us. Um, and there are lots of fan-made scenarios out there, too. Um, but, but we'll see. Um, we're we're just, like I said, we're considering just starting over at this point with some different characters and maybe picking some different choices as far as the, the main storyline and see how that goes. And it's, it's, I think about this time we talk about our awesome sponsor, Mike over at AlterDementia.com. And it's, yeah, you'll have to look at it in the show notes. It's like Alter 3D, I Mint Yeah, anyway, so yeah, it's the whole thing. Anyway. He will print whatever you have an STL for, STL file for, or he's got his own stuff and several licenses that he can print for you. And uh, you can always use your discount code of COG2019 to get 20% off your order. Although I think he's having a big sale now. I think everything's 20% off. So there you go. It's a nice guy. We should do something with he's, him. He's a big Cthulhu figure. A big Cthulhu? He has a big Cthulhu figure? Yeah, that he's uh, uh, printed out that you can get from him. Look, man, there, in getting back into BattleTech, there's like a lot of stuff I'm I'm seeing. Apparently, it's like this whole thing between the um, the the company that does the MechWarrior Online game. They kind of allow wink, wink, nudge, nudge these STL files to get out there, and you could people are printing them up very large. 
and I'm like, wow, I, I kind of want that. I kind of <laughs> want to try to do 28 millimeter BattleTech, which would be really fun to like take a small mech about the you know the size of a uh, PC tower or something, and some 28 mil figures. Maybe play Battle Troops. I own a copy of that. And, uh, and what's Battle what, Troops? What is that? Um, way back in time and when Battletech was king and there was a lot of stuff being put out. I mean, just imagine, imagine uh, another game just as popular as 40K is. They have tons of novels. They have tons of uh, video games. They have cartoons. They have toys your kids can buy. You know, all of this. Well, they, they made a bunch of different type of games to kind of just different do the scale differently and one of them was battle troops where you play just joe schmo with a las gun infantry guy and it was all about like fighting against other infantry in, in the game mm -hmm. but people like did up rules where you could have a mission like to take down a mech and there would be like 15 of your guys, you have to ambush this thing, and you only have like a couple of shots to do it, and if you screw it up, it's going to kill every one of you, so yeah. <laughs> so anyway, thought that might be cool. And like I've seen them, um, Catalyst Game Labs has the license, and they've 3D printed some up, and actually did a, uh, a map in 28 mil and they have it at conventions and stuff uh where it's like 10 by 20 feet or something and you have these you know mechs that you move around that are like the size of a small dog yeah and uh yeah and just play battle i think i've seen that at gen con before yeah. so we should talk about gen con too yeah it, whether or not it happens or not yes it's gonna be very yep. interesting because they didn't they just cancel san francisco comic-con they did yeah, and, and, and Gen Con's only like two weeks after yep. Comic-Con. And yeah, they're sitting, man. They're sitting. I understand it, but I mean, it's just not looking good. That would be, I think they were going for end of April. So, yeah, I think it was, yes, end of April, they, they would decide. And uh, okay. yeah, it ain't looking good. Oh yeah, are you guys like part of that, uh, are, are, your, are your states opening up, quote unquote? So... I don't know what the state has decided. The the governor of Missouri has not really been leading. But um, in the St. Louis city, it is indefinite. I don't live in the city. I live in St. Louis County. And in the county, it's right now it's until mid-May. We are May 1st. We are... Uh, For now. We have a soft opening tomorrow. It's like non-essential stores can open up if they can do curbside service like you still can't get like a haircut but yeah so most places here even though we are on lockdown most places like restaurants and stuff they're already doing curbside service um in fact they even made like temporary law or whatever you want to call it where and i might be off on some of the details on this but they're even allowed to do curbside alcoholic drinks <laughs> like unsealed i don't know the details of it i just know i saw that that they're making an exception so that i don't know if it's bars or restaurants or whatever but yes they're actually doing curbside alcoholic drinks which i think is hilarious and terrifying possibly and well so you know <laughs> what a growler is right it's like a jug yeah. it's a yeah. what a 64 ounce jug that yeah. you can fill with beer 
So, I mean, it's, that's a, a little bit different than, uh, you know, give me a whiskey sour. <laughs> well, so, they, uh, with us, they're doing, they're doing it, but of course, you know, this is Mississippi, so it has to be like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. A lot of the Mexican restaurants, if you're like, I need a large unsweet tea, and that's like, you know, $5, right? And they go, yes, that is, and it'll be a margarita when you pick it up. <laughs> oh, all right. Unsweet tea. Yeah, because no one would order it. What kind one, of southerner one. are you? Well, that's the thing. that's why it's, it's secret code. It's like call you know, the you ask for extra anchovies. It's just, it's like the code. It's like you ask for like unsweet tea, and then you have to like go. That was that's like five dollars, right? <laughs> yeah, is, that, is that like a big sausage pizza? Yeah, it had to be something something like that, and uh, okay. yeah, the, the secret code. Look, they had to literally change the legislation to allow liquor stores to walk out the door and hand you stuff you paid for over the phone. So yeah, it's it's pretty tight over here. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm just curious as to where you guys are with opening up. I know like Florida opened up all the beaches, and yeah, but we only have another week. We go week to week here. Our our governor is. Waits. Uh, we're this week. We're still closed, and I think we'll determine on the twenty seventh what we're doing if we're gonna stay or anyway. Anyway, uh, on to what's on your radar. And the first thing I had was boardgamearena.com. Yeah, that's me. Yep. So uh, this uh, is this is where I've been playing a lot of games, and they have they have an acceptable uh, library of games that I like. I mean, it's it's not like I don't know how many games do they have, 175 maybe something like that, and it you know there's anything from from Hearts to um, well let's see here what you could play Colorado like like I mentioned Hive is on there Eminent Domain um, let's see Quarto the Noir game I talked about there is um, there's quite an assortment, so I mean you can find um, something you might like on there, and this board game arena. And uh, some of the games are uh, premium only, but I think the premium membership is like four dollars a month. So anyway, that's uh, board game arena is a place to play online. I gotta say it's pretty neat, you know, just just like it is. I mean, it's a lot of like super popular, you know, board games that are on there. And mm-hmm. uh, it says you can play you can uh, play from your browser or on all your devices, Wii U, PlayStation, Xbox One. I wonder if it has an app or if it actually is um, requires you to go like through the browser on the PS4 or whatever. I don't know. I'll look that up. Well, there is a um, I think there's a Steam client for it, but okay. I'm not for sure. Well, that's cool. Uh, the next thing we had, are you guys familiar with Earth Dawn? It's kind of, I've heard of that. It's it's an old school uh, series of books, and it's been made into. Um, I think there's been a miniature line. There's been a, there was a was a pretty big uh, role playing game at some point. Wow. I think the last uh, episode we talked about. Um, I didn't. They were making an RPG out of it, and I had read the book, and I didn't like it. It was um, the Dying Earth, but so oh, okay. This is sort of like the same thing. It's it. This is Earth Dawn. It's it's. An, this is another fantasy 
uh, series of books, or it or it may have. I'm not quite sure which came first, the books or the RPG. I know I actually bought some from a, uh, a used bookstore recently because I just I'd heard about it for years. Anyway, this is a Kickstarter for the fourth edition of um, the game, and it's by Fossa. Huh. Yeah, that's a name I have not heard in quite a long time. I know. Who, Believe it or not, they're still around. When I went to Gen Con 100 years ago, uh, I was very surprised to come around a corner and they were like there. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you, you know, I'm like, you know, I don't need to be rude, but, you know, you guys are still around. They <laughs> <laughs> used to be based in Chicago. Now uh, Portland, Oregon. Apparently they have this and I think uh, Space 1889. If you're familiar with that one, it's kind of a Victorian era science fiction. Mm -hmm. That's where it's like British redcoats on Mars. You know, it's very, very. It was kind of steampunk <laughs> before there was steampunk. Yep. And uh, Demon World is another one they have. That was the very. I heard first, of that. It was the first 15 millimeter uh, fantasy war game I had ever heard of. It's played with miniatures on a hex uh, board. I've never seen it played. I've just remember seeing it in magazines. Anyway, this is the fourth edition RPG. They wanted five grand. As of this podcast, they have made eighteen five, and uh, they have eighteen days to go. So it looks like it'll make they'll make it. Um, the PDF bundle's pretty nice for twenty five bucks. You seem to get um, pretty much everything. It uh, looks like. And just for 30 you can get the main book and a PDF. Or you can get everything, print and PDF, for 50 it looks like. So, eh, not bad. Wait, see, that's the thing is I'm having a little trouble understanding. I hate it when Kickstarters do this. Well, this is like an RPG thing. Instead of saying, this is the main rule book, they're like, it just has a name. Lopos. I don't know what that is. You know? <laughs> So apparently for the source book bundle, which is the new low post book, along with other three fourth edition source books, uh, will be $75 for the PDF only. And then, yeah, and see, that's the end. The core rules, PDF only is 100 bucks. I don't get it. Anyway, the link is in the show notes. You check it out, and uh, I'm sure you can interpret it. It looks like for ev the everything pledge and PDF, is $175, although you appear to get a lot of stuff, so I don't know. Okay, like we always do, let's scroll all the way to the bottom. What's what's the biggest one? Eh, it's nothing special, really. It's the it's just print and PDF, 350 I was hoping for, like, you know, my name or, you know, something, chicken dinner, something like that. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the next one we had, there is an Osprey publishing book um, that is coming out which I find fascinating. It is World War II German super heavy siege guns. Dadgum, I love these things. So this mm -hmm. is not a game. This is just a book about the yep. siege guns? Okay. Yeah, it's just uh, Osprey, you know. Osprey makes, I probably, I would argue that most of their money comes from war gamers. Maybe I'm wrong. You can get these little books like this, and they give you a really good rundown uh, of information they're usually done by you know people that are experts in the field you'll recognize you know the titles i've had several professors uh end up publishing for them and um yeah and so this with this kind of thing you would look at it and you would go okay 
if you were building the model, this is what it looks like. Or if you were painting it, it would give you, like, you know, this. Or if you were like, you know what, I want to do a uh, bolt action or Flames of War scenario and have one of these in it. So where, did, where were they actually at in the war? And this would tell you. That's kind of their thing. So, but I've always dug them because I mean, it, it's just this enormous, insane gun. And for what I remember reading of them, at least one of them, uh, they, I mean, they're miles away. They set up this to shoot, and then the crew, who are wearing like ear protection, had to like run like several hundred yards away, and open. And I always found this fascinating. They had to have their mouths open. <laughs> when the gun fired or it yeah would, i heard it, that too it would blow out their eardrums you know and so just crazy you know i just can't imagine like the kind of shells you know how all that worked so yeah this is really cool this will be done by mark with a c romanich a retired u.s army combat arms officer who has a ba in history from the university of maryland and uh yeah he has a master from St. Mary's. He's co-authored a bunch of books. So, yeah, I want this when it comes out. Yeah. And Osprey's so, been giving away a bunch of books during yeah, the yeah. lockdown, too. Yeah. Uh, I've had trouble, and I'm not the only one. Um, and I honestly have gotten where I feel bad about I keep bringing it to their attention because I don't want to – I don't want to be – I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, I can't get this – stuff that you're giving you were giving for free you know i'm angry because i can't get this free thing i don't want to be that guy so i'm kind of just like you know hey you know thank you so much for doing this i just want you to know that your website is having this problem just in case you know people that are trying to buy something from you actually give you money you know uh they're you know maybe they would have the same problem and i don't want you guys to like lose money lose a sale or whatever so that's stuff I, I don't want to be considered like you know, uh, an ingrate, you know, I just, yeah. <laughs> Cause I felt like, I, you know, after I, I think, I think I said it once or twice, like on Twitter or something. And then I'm like, Oh man, I kind of sound like a dick is, you know, Oh, I can't get this free thing. No, no, no. It's, it's not that it's just, I just want you to know. Anyway. So, uh, the next thing we have, I was looking around like I want to do for a 28 millimeter pulp rules. You know, anything you can think of, like uh, um, Indiana Jones, you know, that kind of stuff. Where you're in a jungle looking for a lost ark, or, you know, fighting Nazis, or, you know, Cthulhu, or something like that. But uh, at least through Crooked Dice in the UK have a rule set called, um, I think it's, is that 70V? Yeah, 70V Pulp. Wargaming in the world of the pulp serials. And, uh, yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It's all done like you were kind of, like if you were making it. Like they have the, the rule books called the Director's Guide or the, you know, the Producer's Guide. The Casting Guide is uh, shows you how to, like, build your, uh, your forces. And I just think it's neat, you know, especially if I can do, like, sci-fi and stuff like that, you know. Some kind of, you know, giant robot gone rogue or, you know, whatever. I love how it comes it comes with a MacGuffin token. Nice. I love it. <laughs> oh, where is that at? Is it's in it? the uh, oh, the list of the yeah. things it comes with. Yeah. <laughs> a MacGuffin. Um, yeah. Comes with uh, Chekhov's gun and yeah. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, I I recently played um, 
the Nathan Drake series on uh, PlayStation. What is that called? Uh, Uncharted. Oh, is that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's basically a 3D platformer. And currently, if you're a... Uh, for the PlayStation, Sony is giving away the Nathan Drake collection and a Journey just for free. So you'll stay home and not spread the virus. Oh. And um, I have to hit that up. I get a really cool pulp vibe from you know playing that because the last one I played was the second one, and I'm like off in I'm in Tibet, uh, and yeah, like one of the guys is like an ex-Nazi, and yeah, there's like uh, abominable snowmen. So yeah, I, I really dug it. So do you get on. to bail out of a uh, airplane with an inflatable boat? No, but I did end up like crashing a, a train. I was doing this all. There was a whole high speed car chase thing, and I crashed in a train, and yeah, so. But it's good. Is that the game where you can, like, attach rockets to cows and stuff? No. Is that Uncharted? I what know. am I doing? <laughs> but, but you but have now my he's attention, interested. Roy. Tell me of this attaching rockets to cows. I don't know what it's game, called. Roy. I don't I don't know what it's called, but I just remember this this game where you could like <laughs> strap a rocket into a cow. I will say if that if it's not been made, then someone please contact Roy. He's a Roy Toy Cowboy on Twitter and make this game for him. This I would buy this game. Absolutely. Yeah. I I'm sure it's been made. I've seen the the uh, the clips on Reddit, but I don't remember what the rockets name of the game was. Alright. So if I can try if I can find it, I'll post it in the show notes. All right, the next thing I had uh, was Conflict at the World's End, which is, um, and this is the 2.0 version. Uh, I was interested in this because it was Irregular Wars. Is uh, It was just, you ever, like, I'm rich, like, in a, you're looking for a war game and maybe an obscure kind of thing, like, uh, like what Roy mentioned at the top of the show, you know, Eater Castle. You know, or or a different conflict. You yeah. know, uh, something might sound kind of neat. Yeah, and... this one. I mean, so I mean, a good example, and I've got it sitting on my shelf here. I still haven't gotten it off. Is is Nevsky, which is a, a Volko game that came out last year, and it's uh, it's like 1200s Russia, basically. So not a not a lot of games in that time period. This one, it um, with the different army lists you have it, it, it's a very global kind of view of the world instead of a particular war or or continent, you know. So that you'll be you'll have stuff for there's stuff in here for Dutch privateers, Scottish Highlanders, Polynesian tribemen, Ottoman Empire, and all that kind of stuff. And but this one's like conquistadors versus Aztecs, that yeah. kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that kind of thing. So I just thought it was kind of neat, and it's it's small scale, so you know. Uh, ah, I can get a print version via Amazon if I click on it. Oh, it's 15 pounds. That's not bad. Uh, but that's that, pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I that love is that true. joke. <laughs> so, anyway, it was just on my radar. I'm going to toss it on there. And uh, the next thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was surprised as hell to click over on Miniature Market and find uh, out that Dust 1947 is still going on. In fact, there's a new two-player start starter set for it with an MSRP of 150 bucks. I are you guys familiar with this game at all? Have you have you seen it? And now this is the same as Dust Tactics. I've heard of Dust Tactics. Is yes, that the that, same that is, system? Sorry, sorry. I think that's the exact same game, Dust Tactics. Okay, 
but I be, I'm almost positive it was originally known as Dust 1947. Oh, okay, I, I didn't know if it was a different setting for the same game or what. So Dust Dust Tactics is a uh, well 47 is and is this like alternate history World yes, War Two or yes, what it is, is it? Okay, like got it. it. Okay, and it's again this is pulp. You'll have uh, Nazi uh, zombies. You'll have uh, American and Russian diesel-powered mechs and and that kind of stuff. They do it for um, in uh, what you call it um, bolt action. They have what's called conflict with a K. Conflict forty-seven. Right, I've seen that one too. Does that kind of? I actually have a. Um, a Russian force for it because I mean the freaking vehicles were just too good to pass up they're so crazy looking and uh, this looks like has a Cthulhu faction and there's some apes with machine guns I am a little salty that this game survived and my beloved AT-43 did not I, I kind of get uh, I, the same vibes off of it I mean it, it at least sort of looks the same I don't. Yep. I don't know if this comes pre-printed or did. Seems like originally it did, but um, I don't know uh, how it is now. But anyway, just going to bring it to your attention that this game is still going. I, I I was just surprised, and it's going hard enough that they are willing to put out a two-player starter set at a hundred fifty-dollar price point. I mean, that's that's a lot of money, you know, to get into this game that doesn't seem to be that popular i mean that's yeah. like kind of gw type money but that's a lot for a starter set yeah it really really is and um you don't you only get two heroes two walkers four infantry units and then the rule book of the cards they must be pre-painted that's the only thing i can think of and that would make it worth that much the fact that you could just play it you know you don't you just take it out of the box and play it you don't have to put it, you don't even have to put it together which, in my organizing, I am building a pile of stuff that I want assembled and painted, and I cannot find anybody. I, my local uh, well that I have been using of people to assemble stuff for me in exchange for money uh, has dried up in this. I thought they might be sitting at home, perhaps wanting some extra cash, and no. everybody is, Every one of them is an essential employee. And they're working their ass off. So, yes. So, yeah, anything that is already painted and already assembled sounds great to me. I just wish it were more popular. Anyway, um, great. The next thing I had was this article from Wargamer.com, and that is the upcoming war games for 2020. I don't want to, like, list, go down these line by line. I just kind of wanted to toss it on here and see if there was anything that... Um, you noticed, Rich, and these are so, sorry. These are PC war games that are right. coming in twenty in twenty twenty from like the big stuff like Slytherin, Matrix, Paradox, and uh, some other indie developers. I just kind of wanted to see if there was anything on here that kind of uh, grabbed your attention. So the two on here that were already sort of on my radar radar is one is Burden of Command. I don't know if you've heard of that one before. I've heard really good things about that. It's supposed to be sort of story-driven, very interesting, World War II tactical. Um, it, it's kind of story-driven in that you're you're I like you kind of put yourself into the the place of a I guess a company commander or something like that, and you know your guys can die and stuff like that. So. 
kind of like playing ASL, but you actually care about the people. You're not just sending a half squad out to absorb some machine gun fire or something like that. So, um, Bullet so, stoppers. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I've heard of this one before. It's on my radar. I think it's been delayed for a while, uh, and I don't know what's going on with that, but I've I've had it on my radar. And then the other one that I've I've looked at before that's coming out is this one called General Staff Wargaming System, which looks fascinating to me because it looks like this is just like some guy. He's probably an old grognard who's also a computer programmer, and it looks like he's just trying to design sort of a – I don't want to say a generic wargaming system, but um, – you know, a system that is is flexible, kind of like the operational art of war, that kind of thing, where it's flexible and you, people can create scenarios for it and stuff like that. But this is one I've looked at before, and I'm waiting for when it comes out and, and might pull the trigger on that one. The rest of these, I mean, some of them look interesting, but I'm not super into f- computer war games unless they're basically just like nice-looking versions of board games. But I'm also kind of like... If they just look like a board game on a computer, um, I don't know. Uh, some of those I have played and I've enjoyed quite a bit, but for the most part, I've said this before, a computer war games tend to leave me disappointed. So mm-hmm. That's because you got all them friends that you play with. Yeah, I do. I've must got be, all these must friends. Must be I'm nice. And the most popular guy alone in my room right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, nah, those work out really good for people like me. At least the idea of them you think I'd play them more, but I don't. You know, the idea of it yeah. works great for you know people like me. Yeah. Oh uh, uh, yeah. I I think I, we mentioned it on the uh, the last episode the renaissance that freaking tabletop simulators having with people yeah. that want to play miniature games. People are playing the hell out of X Wing, Legion, and the Warhammer games. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Yeah. If I could find like I mean, and I, I've Boy, said I this before too, that. but. Like, when I get old and retire and I've got a big space, I'm definitely going to be like a miniature war gamer. And I don't know if it'll be like World War II or Napoleonics or Ancients or whatever, but I'll have the big map table and everything and a bunch of miniatures that pay someone else to paint. But that would be awesome to do on Tabletop Simulator because I like miniature war gaming. I just don't have the time or space or money for it right now. Mm-hmm. Now, the ones I'm familiar with on this list, um, Aurora... C hashtag? I don't know how you even say that. Uh, Probably C sharp, because C sharp is a programming language. Must be. Uh, Apparently, this thing has a cult following. You know, it. it Yeah, this is like the dwarf fortress of space games. Yes. And it has to do with, like, it's sort of a 4X game, but it's more about, like, managing fleet tactics or something like that. Yeah, and it straight up looks like uh, TurboTax software from like 1998, <laughs> you know. And people love it. Look, I tried to love Dwarf Fortress. I, I don't think I ever downloaded it. I kept, <laughs> I kept looking at it because every I loved everything people were saying about it, but it just it looked like garbage, and I just could not move past that. I think yeah. they have a graphical version of it now. They do, but even so, it's still. I mean, I don't know. I. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I, I I understand the appeal of it. I but it's one of those games where you you kind of have to make it your life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this one's really big. Nations at War Digital. This should be from uh, what you call it. Um, uh, lock, lock and load. Lock and load. Okay. This should be looks uh, like a lock and load thing. game. Yeah. And well, uh, Lock and Load Tactical just came out on Steam. Right. 
Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Um, yeah. My friend Chris and I have tried playing it several times. It's definitely early access. They seem to patch it, it's, I swear, sometimes like three times a day. I mean, it is cheap, though. I mean, it's like five bucks or something. But, yeah. um, and it once it launches, it will be a lot more. Uh, but, yeah, it plays a lot like the game, but it's got a lot of problems. Now, Radio General has launched on here, and I hear a lot of people saying good things about that. It's basically you're you're giving orders and calling fire and, and stuff like that from, like, the comfort of, like, behind the lines. You're, and like, I, yeah. I love the idea of that. I mean, I think that I like the idea of fog of war and everything where, you know, you're you know you you may not know what's going on you may be getting bad intelligence your orders may not get where they're going if that's what this kind of game is then i'm definitely interested yeah that i mean that seems like it would be super super cool and a lot of people are saying good things about it but uh i think the only other ones on here i wanted to say something about is second front looks like a playstation one game or our nintendo 64 game it's pretty bad and how deep is oh there it is Gates, okay. Gates of Hell, just that screen looks really awesome. I don't Second know. front. Is, is that the one that looks like Minecraft? Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Nintendo 64 game. It looks yeah. really bad. And then uh, Gates of Hell looks pretty cool, but they don't know, doesn't know anything about like when this will come out. Just from that one shot there, it looks nice. I have no idea if that's a real-time strategy, first-person shooter, or anything. I just that looks know like that a it takes painting. place. That does not look like right. gameplay. It definitely takes place in Russia because it's all frozen. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, what is the next thing we have? I get lost in this thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Blaster Mag is coming out, and I know this because in looking at the team, uh, Sean Sutter from Relic Blade is going to be a contributor for this, and uh, I think we have. The only other ones I recognize are like Mike Hutchinson from Gaslands and Ash Barker uh, from Last Day's Zombie Apocalypse. Although Joseph McCullough, his his writing credits are Frostgrave, Rangers of Shadow Deep, and Oathmark. This looks like another shot on. I, I think it's going to be like a digital magazine based in and around gaming. So. Uh, I've seen a couple of those pop up in the past. So this is a this is a periodical or it's a game. I can't tell. I'm not sure. They've yeah, just I can't been... tell from this screen, but it certainly looks. <laughs> They've just been teasing it, and uh, I get the impression that it's going to be a magazine, uh, yeah. just on gaming. But I don't know. I don't guy know. on the cover has got a kind of a weird West vibe, robot mm-hmm. cowboy looking guy, mm-hmm. with his cybernetic jaw. That's how yeah. you know how tough he is. But it's blaster-mag.com. I'll have this linked in the show notes, and we'll hear more about it. They have a nice cast there. And, man, if it was going to be a game, it would be a really cool one. And the last thing on your radar is something that just popped up tonight uh, for me. And uh, this is Mar Rojo, the Spanish Civil War at Sea. Now, see, right there, immediately, I am very, very interested. I'm fascinated by the Spanish Civil War. I didn't even, I don't know anything about, like, the naval component of it. And so I dive in here, I'm starting to look, and I'm like, ah, crap, it's a European game. So that's not that great. Do, do, do. They got an early bird. Ah, eh, 21 bucks? That's great. 
Eh, it's a card game. Eh, yeah. It's just... a card oh, so game. this is not War at Sea. The what was it the uh what was it, battle? Uh the the small ship engagement game that came out. Oh no no. Um there okay. was yeah, yeah, there's uh two of those that have that have came out. There was the the one with the coastal ships. Yes. And uh the other the font one... was the same, so that threw me. And uh the other one also by Warlord, that is a republic of the, Mon- the Mongoose publishing game that uh, escapes me. But no, anyway, this is a card game. I mean, it's probably pretty neat, and it, definitely the material is really good. It's it's affordable. Let's see, they only want $4,350. They've raised about 800 They have 20 days left to go. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I'm just not. I, I just get kind of get really turned off with uh, card games. I'm just not really interested in this. If this was like a hex encounter thing where I'm fighting it out with another ship, yeah, I'd be more interested. But it would probably cost more. So there you go. And uh, I guess uh, the next thing we actually have an interview that I conducted uh like i you know i said i've been busy with this stuff i'm trying to do all these great fun things and um you know get get whatever happening all the stuff i've talked about and uh yeah we've mentioned bot war a couple of times on the show and uh so i decided to reach out to the dude uh anthony mallet he's australian you'll you'll completely understand that within like five seconds of listening to the interview mm-hmm. and uh his kickstarter launched launched tonight and he talks about it in the interview uh as of this podcast as of we record this he wants thirty-one thousand. he's raised eleven thousand, and it's actually a limited um you only there's only one pledge and um it's about 160 bucks american and uh there are 500 total um, pledges available. Period. And uh, if it if it funds, you will get a ton of miniatures in it. An absolute ton. And we talk about that in the interview. So I'll just toss toss I'll toss to it now. And uh, yeah, see what you think. Hmm. All right. Joining me on the show is Anthony, all the way from Australia. Welcome. Hi, Adam. <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously he's he's from Australia. I got him on here to talk about mainly bot war, uh, but his website is it's traders tradersgalaxy dot au. Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, www dot Yeah, dot au. But yeah, and he's got some other stuff on there. But yeah, mainly we'll talk about uh, bot war. We'd mentioned this on my show a couple of times. And I, what I love about it is, like, just this whole mismatch of, you know, obvious influences in there into this line. It reminds me so much of um, playing, like, with my little brother. We never played, like, like one thing. Like, we wouldn't have, like, you know, the real Ghostbusters and, like, okay, well, we're going to play real Ghostbusters today. It was all of our toys at once. So it was the you know Peter Vinkman fighting fighting alongside of uh, He Man, 
as they fight, you know, Skeletor and Cobra Commander. So I, I absolutely love that just big kind of mix for it uh, in in Bot War. And I think the other thing that I like so much out of it is the scale. What made you go with 8mm, of all things? Well, it's sort of because I, um, I actually started this company two years ago from scratch. It was like a sort of New Year's resolution. Well, not really. Well, sort of New Year's resolution slash part of my – I did a um, – uh, MBA at the university here. I'm like, I'm 45 now, so I only did it a couple of years ago. And as part of that, it had an entrepreneurial part of it. And I think I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And so part of the end of it, I was like, well, what am I going to do it on? And I thought, well, I've been in miniatures now for like over 20 years. So I might do it on that. So I sort of started this company on a New Year's resolution with a washing machine. And like I couldn't make bigger things like I couldn't like I had to start at that scale because a spin casting in metal um, it's it's easier to make get the scope and scale of the game in if the your starting point is much smaller so I wanted like giant robots and all that sort of stuff and and you can't put giant robots on a spin casting disc so it sort of just sort of fell in to being eight millimeter so but like there has been some scale creep i think even in the last two years so it's probably more closer to between eight and ten millimeter now okay yeah i i own a lot of like six millimeter uh terrain i still think uh this stuff would look pretty good you know with it i've actually been thinking uh really hard about my factions you know and uh and to get to like to help me like decide i was actually going to ask you know about some things there seems to be a couple of factions that are like combined arms more or less they have like infantry which are pretty small and that's where the eight, yeah. eight millimeter comes from if you guys that are listening don't know it's supposed to be a man a regular sized man would be eight millimeters tall and then everything else would scale to that so it'd be like eight millimeter equals six feet you know blah blah, blah whatever it is yeah, but uh, like, what role do like infantry, support vehicles, and aircraft play in the game of mostly giant robots? Yeah, so actually, like, there is an there is an abstractness to the game in that regard, in the sense that the game, the way the game and the rules work, is is actually really easy to like have all models behave within the criteria of the stat line and the game that's been worked out. So even even models that, like, uh, I'm just making some gun towers at the moment for Snake Corp, which actually don't move, but they can still fit into a normal stat card, just make movement zero. Like, they still have the way they fit in. I'm actually working on some expansion rules at the moment as part of the um, Kickstarter rulebook upgrade that will expand the infantry and vehicles out into platoons and squads so um but at the moment infantry they're relatively weak um in the game unless you get into a building and then obviously they're they're stronger in a a building but vehicles once again they're usually stronger at ranged attack and pretty like pretty much zero close attack ability so um and and not all obviously factions are bots. I think 
I think from memory, seven of the ten factions have bots. So there's three that don't have bots. Oh, okay. And and I think there's I think there's four like where bots aren't even the primary, aren't even the primary sort of a, a force, I guess. Like Snake Corp's primary force is vehicles. Like it's very obvious the way it plays that vehicles are their primary force and the bots are just backup. Yeah, I, I like those guys. I'm I'm looking really really hard at them, but you know the um, the uh, what is it the democracy? They look pretty cool too. Yeah, and they've got no bots at all. Democracy. Ah. Okay. Um, Red Star Nations and Democracy have zero bots. Yeah. Although we'll, Red Star Nations got giant mutant dinosaurs. So, so. Now, yeah, that really, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that Kickstarter and um, in a minute, but uh, yeah, they they really really interest me for for those two. I I really dug that. So, all right, I. All you guys got to do is actually just take a look at, you know, these, and you can just really, really see this 80s Saturday morning influence on, like, everything. And it's just really, really cool. But I wanted to talk more about, like, how the game plays. Uh, yeah, what, sure. What is the size table that you play on? Uh, it's only a three-foot by three-foot um, board. So I like what that. I, what, yeah, what I... What I wanted, like I took, because I'm I'm a long term, used to be a long term Warhammer Fantasy tournament player. So one things, like I took a lot of things from that game, and like that I didn't like, and made sure that it wasn't in my game. And one of us always trying to like find a you know six foot by four foot board to play on. And so I wanted like I wanted people to be able to, I wanted that sort of balance between setting up a board game and setting up an actual tabletop war game. So for me, the three foot by three foot is really easy. It can be played on a kitchen table at home. It can still look great um, on that scale. It doesn't require a huge amount of terrain. Um, and you only require really for an 80 point game, which is what, we call the the regular game you require anywhere between three and ten models per side so what i and one of the things about the game is that it's designed to play in just under an hour like play through um a scenario in just under an hour so what i want is like there's usually a lot of preparation for games uh, i don't know about your, your own hobby stuff but i know when i when i was doing like um, other games and stuff like that. There's always like 90% of the hobby is like painting, making army lists, running, you know, working out what's going to work with what, you know, reading background and stories and getting into it that way. And then there's about 10% playing. That's how it was for me anyway. Yeah, so, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. So what I wanted is that that ten percent playing experience, just to to pack all the good things of that ten percent into, and 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 if anything, increase that to fifteen percent. You know, like, oh, it's not that much. It's not that hard to to pack to set up a game of Bot War. It doesn't take that long. I can get it in with a mate. He comes around for a beer, whatever. And and you've had your game, and then you spend the next hour talking about it. So that's sort of what. How I want um, 
how I want Bot War to work. And it seems to be working that way, which is really good. Now, you build your army list. It's like you build it with uh, energy cubes, right? And then uh, you actually use those to activate units in the game. Yeah, that's great. You, I would say that you build... Um, energy is certainly a huge factor in when you build your army list. So you definitely have to um, be careful how... Like, I think... Compared to, and I look, I haven't played loads and loads and loads of war, ga- war, uh, war games, um, but from my experience, like you really only have like two levers in a normal war game. You like you got your points value, and you've got how powerful things are. And I know um, that a lot of people always try to squeeze like the the most power per point into their army list in order to have like this this sort of killer. Um, list. But Bot War's got three levers because you might be able to squeeze the most power per point into a Bot War army list, but then you'll get to the battlefield and we'll have you'll have a, a, a symptom that we call starvation. So all your nice big powerful um, bots or models will actually starve for energy and won't be able to do anything in the game. So you've got to really consider those three levers. So. That's why there's really no models in Bot War that are redundant. So, like, I, I know um, from my experience getting into war games and stuff, it's always that, like, oh, if I buy that really cool-looking model and paint it up and I'm really going to like it, then I get to the battlefield and realise that it's useless, like, when you get there. Oh, and yeah. that's really irritating because I've done that a few times, got this great-looking unit or something like that and it's just like oh it doesn't perform and 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 it's usually the thing that got you into the into the game or got you into that army in the first place um and you just sort of sits on the shelf then so the good thing about um bot war is that even the weakest models usually the weakest models are the best models for energy and so the largest models that you want to do any everything with they, they don't supply a lot of energy. So you actually need a balanced list in order to have the best chance of, of doing anything in Bot War. So so I really like that dynamic of the game. So you can't it means you just can't take all big guys and run roughshod over everybody because the, what you'll find is that half the big guys will just stand there doing nothing while you use the energy to power certain things um, during the game. Now, you mentioned that uh, you could have anywhere from 3 to 10 models uh, on the table. Is it is there a cap at 10 models? No, actually, no. No, you can have more if you can find the points to fit them in. Like, I was just talking about an 80-point okay. list. Okay. So you can set, you can have as many as you want. Like, there's no, there's no rules around um, writing army lists. There's no, like... You must take this much core. You must take this much gen, you know, general figures or whatever. There's none of that. You can pretty much take anything you want, and you can activate it in any order. Uh, sorry, not in any order, but in um, I should say the activations. When you actually get to your activation, you can you can move twice. You can move or shoot. You can shoot or move. You can do in any of those activations in any order. But you do have to activate the models in a certain order. Um, based on your strategy rating. So that's another lever that you really should think about when you're building a list is the strategy rating and when your model's actually going to be able to activate in the turn. 
that was going to be my next question. Is... Uh, sorry, I was. I just go off on a bit of a tangent ramble. I just stop me if I'm if I'm if I'm going too much, talking oh, too no. much and going off topic. Oh no, you're, you're moving <laughs> fine. Um, that was a that was my next question. Was okay. How do like you set up and I set up? How do we determine who goes first? And no, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that either. Okay. So so everything everything is 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 hinges on the strategy rating on the stat card of the model. So the the game works by activating in ascending strategy rating order. So for instance, let's say uh, when you set up, let's say you've got a strategy rating three model. Right, that's your lowest strategy rating you have. But I've got a strategy rating two model. So I'll set my strategy rating two model up first, and then you'll set your strategy rating three model up, and then I'll set uh, my strategy rating five model up, and then you'll set your strategy rating seven model up. So until everybody's deployed. Okay. And then when then when you go to activate, it activates in that same order. So the person with strategy rating one will activate before someone with strategy rating two. So when you get um, when you get a thing where there's a tie, normally what um, we do is we die. Um, some people dice off every turn, but my friend and I, when we play, we just dice off at the start of the game, and that means that when there's a tie, that person will go first in every instance of that tie. Okay. So so, but valiance will always go first regardless. So if you're playing against Valiance, then if there's a tie, they'll always activate first anyway. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, would... part, it's part of their faction advantage. So, um, so, so yeah, so it's, you have to be, when you're playing the game, I've been caught out a few, I get caught out less now, but like in the early days, I got caught out a lot thinking, oh, I've got this great plan. And I need to realise that my opponent's model was actually going to activate before the connection of my plan and and sort of throw a spanner in the works. So you have to be, like, working the strategy rating into your army list is really important. Like, some people like to put all, like, really early activation. Um, like, they activate... The whole forces activate before they get to strategy rating five. But it then makes you yeah you can like try and lead the battle and and do things that way but then if anything happens you can't react because no one is activating later in the turn um and it always becomes really difficult if certain key models are taken out during a game when you have a balanced force you've taken out oh you've taken out my later activating strategy rating models and now you've only got like your whole plan has to change because you can't react or likewise if you have everything activating really late then you just seem to be reacting the whole turn and you can't actually proactively do anything okay do you sort of get what i do you sort of get what i mean yeah um <laughs> i was curious um how important is playing the mission in, in this game oh uh, yeah very important yeah because otherwise like it, the the scenarios the game is really scenario driven and like some factions will be too powerful on a straight up fight like they need the scenario objectives in order to be able to um, compete 
So you definitely have to play like if you just played what I what I call like your your straight up fight every every time, then some factions will be in a disadvantage. You definitely need the scenarios um, to play. So for instance, I have to give you a good example of that, like um, Beast Lords um, that have just come out. Um, they're super powerful, and you'll only fit maybe three, maximum four, into a faction, right? If you try to just take them on all the time in a straight fight, most of the time you'll lose. But you really, if you take them on in an objective game, then actually they'll really struggle in an objective game. So finding the balance between a stri- whether you go for a straight fight or trying to go for the objectives is a is a is another choice um, dynamic that you have to make while you're playing the game. So if you if you decide to just go straight fight all the time, then um, you've removed that choice and actually disadvantaged certain players. I think. Okay. Uh, I am curious uh, what you mentioned earlier to kind of backtrack. Uh, did you quit playing Warhammer Fantasy because of Age of Sigmar? Oh no, not really. I, I think it just I think it just burnt out. Like I was, uh, I moved back to Australia in two thousand eight from the UK, and it just like I think when it was starting to burn out for me in eighth edition. And I think when um, I think when it sort of you know it was getting tired in eighth edition, and then when it came out, I looked at the new what is it the ninth age that group that did the ninth age or something for a bit, and I just thought oh, I just can't be bothered with it. So maybe yeah, maybe it was Age of Sigma, but like I like some of the models. I see every now and then some of the models that came out for it, but I don't really I have no inclination anymore to really to really play any other games, to be honest. Okay, just curious. Um, um, yeah, yeah, so. I know, yeah, I'm, I'm 44. I have plenty of ideas for my own other games, but I just, when I get round to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm 44 and don't have a lot of time, and yeah, I honestly spend way, way more time talking about games than I ever do playing them, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, But that's part of the fun, right? That's yeah. part of the fun of it. So I think it's I think it's crazy to think that this hobby is only about painting and playing games. Like I'd say that's you know ten percent of it each. So many people just like are just into the backgrounds and like I said before, you know it's it's there's a lot to it. Now, um, do you do like the sculpting for your figures? No, or some, but not much. Yeah, no, only some. Like, I only do some traditional sculpting on bits and pieces if I have to. Um, But um, most of it's done by my digital sculptors now. Okay. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, I I can't even imagine what it's like to make a game. Not only, like, the rules and stuff, but to be able to find somebody and then contact them and be like, hey, um, this is my idea. And can you sculpt this up for me, please? I wouldn't even yeah, like I've had a few sculptors over, but I've now had. It's getting. It's good now. Like I've initially, it was pretty difficult. Um, like I probably contacted maybe fifteen sculptors in the early days, and I had maybe three or four 
that did maybe five that did works for me. And it's like, it was really like hit and miss, um, early on. But now I've had the same sculptor now for two years. I've, I've got this, had the same artist now for two years. And, um, I've got just had a third artist that's been with me for about six months. And those three guys now, like, we're of the same mind. So, like, just, it's so much easier now, like, having, to, you know, you don't have to explain all the little tiny things about miniature making. Um, and they just know, and they just do it. So it's, it's, it's much, much easier now. I can get, I can now get a model really from, from idea to production. And if I really pushed it, less than a month. Wow. So I've produced, I've produced, I've, I think I've produced about 200 models in the last two years, I think. 200 different models, maybe more. Hmm. Maybe more. All right. Well, that reminds me, kind of shifting gears, you've mentioned you've got a, uh, a Kickstarter coming up, and I'm definitely one of those guys that clicked the remind me on it. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm very interested in the Red Star faction and their, you know, dinosaurs with missile launchers and shit. It looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, no, awesome. So that actually came that actually that inspiration came from a fan, um, actually. He said, Oh, why don't you do this? I'm like, you know what? Actually, yeah. Because I was at the time I was developing the Overlord faction and um um and I was just like, you know what? Yeah, like um it's definitely be a great idea. So and the and the great thing is that the background is really cool as well. Like uh, I love the background, how that all just it just arrived, which was great. Um, Do you know the background of of the Red Star Nations? Have you did you have a look at it? I did. You might not. not have had a chance. Yeah. So um, so the Red Star Nations obviously are mirrored in the alternate universe of Bot War to the Soviet Union in the eighties. So. Um, in the lead up to the first Atlantican war, which happened in the very early eighties where I don't know if you know about that story, but that's really the, the bedrock of, um, of bot war. You know, that's like your Horus heresy of, but of bot war, um, where King Gills sort of rose up during the cold war and, and attacked the democracy, which is obviously based on the United States. And, um, and the Red Star Nation sort of watched and, you know, didn't really take part in that and weren't really affected. They had some minor skirmishes, but because they're not really being a heavy coastal area, they weren't really um, affected so much. So at the end of the Atlantican War, when the Valiants sort of rescued the democracy or towards the end of it, uh, Red Star were relatively untouched. But... Um, so very soon after that, uh, Gorg, which is a which is an overlord, a giant sort of brain creature, um, who incidentally isn't really inter- interested in global domination or anything like that. He's he's a gambler, and he um, he mutates creatures for these arena games on his own planet. So he sort of got ostracised, I guess, by his his planet because his father, father's very famous. So sort of went off and trying to find his own way and he's and he's landed on earth and 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 found like earth sea creatures are very good to mutate 
So, and he's chosen Red Star Nation as his primary area for his lab. So he's landed there and pretty much devastated the capital city of Red Star Nations. And you got these gigantic shark warriors roaming through and giant gator warriors roaming through and squid creatures and all this sort of stuff. And the population has been have, have, have had to evacuate the capital city. And uh, during this time, they um, Gorg uses this special substance that I've just called Green Ooze to mutate his creatures. And uh, Red Star Nation commandos found some. And so what they did is they took it to the scientists and they found that it's it's really, really handy for mutating cybernetic um, machines onto flesh. So they then experimented, and they first experimented um, making actual human cyborgs, um, which which has sort of helped in the battle against um, Overlord Gorg and his shark warriors and stuff, but really didn't didn't turn the tide until the scientists started to use um, sort of you know your Jurassic Park DNA that they that they've had to to mutate these these the normal human dinosaur DNA into gigantic versions of themselves and then they've used that to cybernetically enhance them as well so then all of a sudden Gorg is now you know the the shark warriors are being turned back by even more fearsome creatures you know but but now Gorg jealously wants the dinoborgs to take back to his arena because they're quite good fighters. So he's thinking, oh, these would be amazing. So he's, he's, he's constantly on this, on this thing to try and capture them and work out and find a stable mutation um, to take back. So I think the story there is like, that to me is like Saturday morning cartoons all over. Yeah. Um, now, when you first, we first communicated with, you listened to my last show and I had gotten some things wrong about like how Kickstarter works and how that will work and stuff. So just uh, there's some concern here and there. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I've read some others that like a Kickstarter like right now may have trouble fulfilling because of you know what all's going on, it you know with the virus and China and and everything. Uh, how does that work with like the Kickstarter you have coming up? Um, do you mean funding or fulfilling, Adam? Oh, uh, well, fulfilling, like you get your, you know, you get your stuff, uh, you know, made in China. Like you get your figures cast. The resin ones, yes. And, yep, I uh, do. you know, the books printed, wh- whatever you need, uh, whatever you need yep. to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, fulfilling, um, I, well, I don't know of any issues with my manufacturing partners. Um, I've actually even while this has gone on and when it was at the height of it in China, I got my stuff, I think it was like two or three days delay. Um, I've just received a few thousand Beast Lord models. I'm just about to receive um, another batch of a few thousand resin models um, in the next within the next six days. I haven't had any issues at all with the car to be honest if if it wasn't all over the media and i wasn't in um uh i didn't i work in um retail property 
you know, as my day job. If I wasn't in that, I actually would have no impact at all from from COVID nineteen at all. Which is, it was a bit bizarre, really. Like my my stuff isn't made anywhere near Wuhan or anything like that. Um, my wife does make me does make me disinfect it when it comes comes here. But like to be honest, like there's actually been no delay. I've checked multiple times with them as well. Like um, I've checked. Um, to be honest, I, I did. Ca- I have capped the Kickstarter as well at 500 pledges because I want to make sure that I can deliver everything. And I'm, I'm hoping to deliver it this year, although I, ha- I think on the Kickstarter I've, I've said January just to give me time. But, but to, to be honest, my manufacturing partners have, t- have now turned around twice um, thousands of miniatures in just 120 days. So, um, and that's during their COVID-19 thing. So I'm not expecting any issues at all with that. I obviously, I've, I've padded out the delivery date for myself, um, but I'm actually not expecting there to be um, any delays on delivering any of that stuff. I mean, I've delivered it all before through the last two years. Like there's nothing that I'm actually doing new for the Kickstarter. So all the previous stuff I've sort of delivered just off sales of using uh, from money from sales of bot war and, and stuff like that. This is just um, the Kickstarter is really to take my company to the next level and produce even more of the models in resin rather than metal. So, so yeah, I don't see any issue there. I mean, I don't know if there'll be an issue funding it um, because of, because of people being worried about Kickstarter. Um, but, but, you know, I don't, that might be a thing. I, I don't know if that, that'll be a thing that people are concerned about that. But I, I certainly don't feel at all there'll be any issue with fulfilling it. Um, in fact, I'm hoping to fulfill it earlier than I've said on, on the Kickstarter. So, so yeah, I just, I, like, you know, I think that's a th- normal thing with Kickstarter, isn't it? No one really knows how it's going to fund um, until it goes live. So, but, um, you know, I don't think there's any, I mean, I've done, the whole of Bot Wars really being built on pre-orders. So what happens is normally PEP, I'll have an item that, and I only put up items on the, on the website for pre-order over the last two years, um, when it's already been sculpted, when it's already sort of gone to manufacture, like sort of in the manufacturing process, so I put it up for, for pre-order, and most of the Botwell models have been funded that way. So people will purchase it with a with a date, a pre-order release date set in set in, and then I just keep people updated on the on the Facebook group that it's arriving. I think I've only had one that was late, and it's because they printed uh, they 3D printed um, two left legs rather than a right and a left leg, and then they went on holidays. So I couldn't bloody produce that that model for a few weeks. But apart from that one, I think everything else has arrived before on time, and everyone got their pre-orders, which is which has been good. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, just looking at like the Frosthaven Kickstarter, I don't think anybody's worried too much, you know, about getting yeah. it delivered. You know, it's like a five million dollar Kickstarter. Nah. People are like, eh, it happens. It won't, you know, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, and that, and you know, like I think Frostgrave, they've had a history of 
Kickstarters and stuff like that. And for this is my first Kickstarter as such, and there, there was uh, it wasn't really learning it. Like it's maybe I'm approaching this different to some other people. Perhaps is that I'm already a manufacturer and I already had those manufacturing partnerships and I already had all that stuff, but I'm actually new to Kickstarter side of things. So I decided to. Um, stay away from Kickstarter for the first two years because I wanted to make sure that I had all the processes right, all like build the business up to a level. Um, and then I think Kickstarter is better for me to use to take my company to the next level um, um, rather than sort of just trying to get even started from scratch, you know. Right. So I'm already started from scratch. I already have nearly 800 members on the Facebook group that are, that are keen. Um, so it's just a matter of like now, okay, now I want to do less metal and do more into the larger scale uh, resin because I can't produce like hundreds and hundreds of, of models quickly with, with the metal spin casting and they're heavier to post. So by, by outsourcing the manufacturing of those, I can produce hundreds at a time um, and they're lighter to post, which is great because I offer free postage, see, not on the Kickstarter but on – on the website, normally there's there's free postage for certain spend levels. Now you mentioned um, like having like 800 people on the uh, the Facebook fan group. Oh, it's not quite. I think it's 788 at the moment. I think. I think it's, uh, oh, it's okay. You can round up. Yeah. It, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that is as somebody who follow I follow the gaming industry. I I pay attention to a lot of little companies, especially ones that are doing cool stuff. 800 people in a Facebook group is really a big deal. Is it? Yeah, it is. For, for I've a, actually been thinking for the last year that it's like I'm way behind. For, I'm for, thinking I should have thousands. For a small like, company, it really, really is. I mean, because people forget that, like, you know, uh, tabletop gaming is is a niche, and, you know, and miniature gaming is a niche inside of that niche and it just kind of gets smaller as it goes in like the biggest uh facebook groups for tabletop gaming even like games workshop and stuff like that they'd be they're hovering around like ten thousand, i think um i think one of the only ones i i follow is 40k for growing up oh no okay never mind they have thirty six thousand. so that's, yeah 40k i think is pretty big you know that that's probably the biggest so it, it's <laughs> gonna have a ton but yeah. but smaller more indie games um just you know they don't have that many uh you know so i would say i think non-licensed i think non-licensed stuff doesn't have um doesn't have a lot so I probably I probably agree there that it's 800 is pretty good for a non-licensed indie game. For sure, and uh, yeah. Uh, well, tell me about this Kickstarter. Like, what will be on it? Well, the when we first like I I have a little my group of little mod guys who are great customers. Um, when we we're first discussing, because I'm saying like, you know, how do we get it? how do we get it? How do we get it to the next level? And to be honest, I give a, have to give a shout out to my to my mods from my Facebook group because they're they're all good mates and they and they're they're like my uh, um, little consortium of people that um, you know guide me through and give me advice, which is which is fantastic. Like I don't really get anything for that; they're just they're just great guys. 
And when I was talking about, um, when I was talking about the, like, how do we get, how do we get it to the next level? How, how do we get, and they're like, you got to do Kickstarter. I'm like, oh, I just, I don't know about Kickstarter. I don't know about Kickstarter. Um, and then when we finally did it, it became sort of like, oh, I had, I, I'd somehow gone through and my sculpting guys had got ahead of my 3D printing by quite a bit. Like I had, you know, like 30, you know, 25 models or something. And normally it, it doesn't get that far ahead. Maybe it's only two or three models ahead. And I was just like, oh, I'd love to release like all these at once. And I had, so I had all the Deceiver models that are on the Kickstarter. I had them all sculpted first. And um, they were going to, like, I was going to do a complete big revamp of the Deceiver line. And they're like, oh, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you take this opportunity to like just make the game everything that you wanted to make it? And it was a good idea, to be honest, like, because there was a lot of terrain rules and stuff I want, like, interactive terrain rules, like, people picking up, a, like, a, a signpost and, like, bashing someone with it and things like that. I wanted to add into the game which, that didn't, that I didn't have in the game. So I decided then, you know what, stuff it, let's just, like, make the game how, you know, with everything that's out, with all the input that's come in from people, like, let's just make the game um, upgraded. So with that, you would get like, I've upgraded all the models. Well, not, I guess upgraded a little bit, but all the models in the game on the Kickstarter are completely separate to the current game. So there's no crossover, but, um, I've upgraded all the Atlantican range in the kicks in the Kickstarter game. Um, you get 14 models there, including like a big guy, uh, Omen, which is like your sort of big ogre type, character and then you've got um um your valiance in there as well i think there's uh six six valiance in there in the game so that's really what you're pledging on but the way it works is that if you uh, for the first 200 pledges they'll get like also an exclusive kickstarter miniature cadmia which is a female mercenary used to be a valiant but she's turned mercenary so um but then after that 200, for every 14 pledges, everybody that's that's pledged will get a free miniature. So there's so like at, at 214, everyone will get Narsitron, which is the first the Deceiver leader, and then at 228, everyone will get Malakon as well, and it just goes up from there. So up to the point where you can actually, um, if it hits the 500 cap limit on the pledges, then everyone will get 33 miniatures um, for the same price of the normal pledge level. There's only one pledge. There's only one pledge, which is approximately 150 US dollars, which is in Australia in terms, it's about 250 AUD. So, so if you pledge um, and it goes over 200, well, from 214 onwards, you just start getting miniatures added for free to your existing pledge. So the idea is that if everybody, if we if we hit 500 pledges, then everybody will get the maximum value. And I think I've listed I've listed there all the miniatures that you'll get, um, and what at what pledge level they'll be unlocked. So um, and they're all sculpted except for Communicator. Communicator is the only one that's not sculpted yet, but every single other model is fully digitally sculpted it's just waiting really to hit the green button on the 
on the go produce. So, so yeah, like it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good value. I think it comes out to each model's about five bucks or something like that if we, if we hit the 500 pledge limit. Now, um, there's no way we can see like the, the preview for it to, uh, to, to actually look at like the list and, and what, what it would yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you, on the Facebook page and actually in the, game and info section on the website i've got the panels that i've used in the kickstarter that will show all the models and and who's unlocked when um so you can go on i think the game and info page on the website or you can go to the facebook group the facebook group's a public group so you don't have to join to have a look at the posts so um uh so yeah all the panels are there showing uh the first couple of panels have renders of the actual um, completed digital sculpts, and the final couple of panels have the artwork of of the ones that are that are unlocked later in the in the in the Kickstarter. So you can so you should be able to see them. All they're posted in a few places. You can also um, have a look at them on the Traders Galaxy uh, Facebook page as well. Um, and I'll have on there. I'll have this linked at the show notes uh, just in case. It, uh, yeah, great. And, uh, yeah, I'm taking a look at it now. So the two-fact, this is, we're basically getting, like, a two-player start starter set for, like, 150 That's bucks, correct. Right? So yep. uh, I, we get the rule book. Is it different than, like, the rule book, I, the second edition I currently have? Yes. It's yes. Just... It's, it's, the core mechanics remain the same, but um, all the special rules have all been tied up. Plus there's a huge terrain rule section. Plus there's a... Um, a way of using squads and platoons, um, so like grouping your models together, um, and there's also a lot of additional s- scenarios as well. So um, there's a fair bit. Of, oh, and actually a 40-page background section, which I think is important. That's not in that in that rule book, which should be. So um, so yeah, there's a fair bit extra in the in the uh, new Kickstarter book. But it's it's um, the core mechanics and the way the game plays is not really changing. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm starting like on on the main the main thing, and let's see for just just straight up uh, 150 American. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 14 I think. Yeah, fourteen uh, models of different sizes. You would say Omen yep. Omen's the biggest one, right? Yeah, he's I think he's about 70, 75 millimeters tall and these, so he's, he's a big guy these will be resin yes 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 that's correct i don't know if you saw did you see the resin beast lords that people have been showing yes yes uh, yeah yeah now with these are these like multi-part or will they be one single piece no like most of them some will be single pieces but most of them are uh, multi-part um arms and head is separate okay so uh, the main ones you get, if this is all you get, if that's if, if no ki- if no goals are met, you'll end up yeah. with about it's what is it half of the um, the Atlanticans, and then half are the um, what do you call it the Valiants, right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. moving on to if. As we start getting more, uh, I think it starts at 214 pledges. Yeah, that's right. Yep. 
what faction are these guys from? They're deceivers. Okay. So, so as you move, I think if you if we fulfilled the the entire five hundred pledges, I think everybody will get four and a bit factions. So um, there'll be uh, Valiants and Atlanticans in the starter, and then the, moves on to Deceivers, and you actually get a lot of Deceivers. It's a quite a big force for Deceivers. And then it moves on to democracy, and you actually get quite a big uh, force of democracy as well. Um, and then it starts to move on to Red Star Nations with the larger, larger Dino Borgs. Yeah, that's I'm I'm really really liking that. You, there's just three of them, but that's that's where it is. Yeah, there's only three because they're quite large. Like um, they're um, the Bronte Borg is oh, I want to say from memory I think he I think he's about 90 millimeters long maybe 100 millimeters long so he's, he's quite a large it's quite a large model so they're sort of like quite big rewards at the end for hitting 500 pledges yeah it's really cool and there's way more of that 80s influence you can see in some of the uh, the armored cars and stuff it's really really cool. Uh, yeah, that would be a tremendous deal if it actually backs out at um, at 500. I mean, that is a really, really good deal. You get a ton of figures. Yeah, and and there's and they're real like to me as well. Like you get four factions there, so like there's plenty of scope to and and actually each of them play very differently, which is which is quite interesting. I guess I guess my only uh, question is: say the whole thing funds out, I get this massive, massive pile of resin that's coming. How much do you think shipping will be to the states? Uh, it's a flat rate shipping, so it's um, it's about thirty US. Okay. So I'm I'm just doing because it's too complicated. Like I do free shipping all the time, so I sort of know all the costs of that. Like I've been doing it now for for two years, so I. I for the Kickstarter, I've I've set a flat rate shipping for Australia because obviously it's in Australia, but also for the rest of the world. So there's some places I don't post to, like Afghanistan and that. But um, but for the most part, yeah, it's just it's just a flat rate shipping. So if it's any difference, I'm going to cover it. Okay. So so I just wanted to I wanted it I wanted. One thing that always stops me from stuff is this, all this uncertainty of everything all the time. So for any people that pledge, like, like I try to always do things how I would like them, <laughs> like if I was the person. And to be honest, I want to know everything up front, like what, what it is. I don't want to get contacted later with, oh, this shipping is going to be this much. I just, like, this is just flat rate shipping, bang. You, like, put in, you know exactly how much it is, you know exactly what you need to pledge. You know exactly. There's not like multiple all these multiple pledge levels of a dollar and this and that. And then you go into a different website and look at this and look at that. No, you just put in one pledge. Blam! This is the postage for it. Blam! Get up to 500. You're going to get this many models. There's no extra postage. That's what it is. Hmm. I, yeah, I like it. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, I've seen other ones do that, but they're not that common. You're right. Most of it seems to be very complicated. Yeah. Where you got uh, different things. Oh, it does my head in. Like, I was looking at it, it's just like, oh, 
so so how much am I paying here? Like, what's actually happening? And so, yeah, I was just, even as someone who's, like, researching all this stuff, it's, like, doing my head in. <laughs> it's, like, it's all these, like, things you've got to go to this and go to that. And it's, like, I've already got all the structure of that. Like, I've been doing it now for two years. Um, I just want to, like, pick the models, box them up, send it off. I know exactly how much I'm sending. Um, that if, if the good news is that obviously it's really easy to calculate that, right? Cause I only have one pledge level and everybody will get the same. So it's quite from my end, like in the, in the back end side of things, it's actually really easy. It's like, all right, it's funded. It went up to, uh, it got 500, right? That means that the first 200 people are all going to get the exclusive bang done and every other miniature. And then, the remaining 300 people are just going to get all the miniatures. Bang. Post. Come and pick it up, please. <laughs> that's, hmm. that's pretty much it. It's, it's really easy. Like, I don't have to like, oh, you know, Bob Bloggs got this many and then he pledged in here and got this much and I have to work out who got this and what and I have to pick it based on what. No, everyone just got all the same stuff and just send it out. Hmm. Nice. Sorry, I'm like, oh, no, real passionate I, about that. I understand. Uh, yeah, I think that will, it works. It works out perfectly that way. Well, the chances of me mispacking something is like really low, because everybody's getting exactly the same thing. You know, I'll, ju I'll just be laying out stuff in big long rows and just like putting the same, dropping the same things in every box. Um, the chances of like, oh, this person's got this and this person's got that. That yeah, that's that's not gonna. It's not gonna be as confusing. Just be like, bang, just run along, drop everything in. Now, you also, you know, not only, like, the rules and we mentioned the rules and all the, the figures you get and the possible figures you can get, but it also comes with the cubes you need for, for energy, yeah, yeah. dice, and uh, I think a tape measure too, right? Yeah, a tape measure, that's correct. Like, that's a bit of a, a strange one, um, like a bot more tape measure, no measuring sticks or anything. So, um, and it also comes with your, your cards for the particular models that are in the starter, like your stack cards. Okay. Now it, it definitely comes with the ones that, that are in the starter, but say, yeah. you, will you get, uh, stack cards for any extra miniatures that are unlocked? Well, all the stack cards are currently free on the website that you can just download and cut out. Um, most people just download them cut it like the the front and back is on there and you just download it cut it out fold it over and put it into a card slip however i am i haven't put it on the kickstarter um but i do hope to be doing hard copy cards as well but i haven't put that on the kickstarter yet and i'm not guaranteeing that yet but it's definitely something that i want to do yeah. and the only reason i'm not the only reason i'm not guaranteeing it is because some of the models may require more balance as the meta expands so um i don't want to produce thousands of cards for that a particular model where i would have to change something so not that i am expecting it because it's being tested but you'd never know what happens you know so i'd rather um i'd rather have them available free for people and they can just download the faction that they're playing at that time and see them all on the website, and they just get them for free. 
Yeah, I think uh, a couple of places uh, like Drive Through RPG, somebody does a print on demand thing for cards. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know something like that might you know work. That way you wouldn't have to worry about shipping them from down there. Or, you know, or I don't know. People just yeah. Well, people can just they're in they're all set up in uh, a PDF format. So you actually you can actually um, just print print them out on a on a on a printer in color or black and white even if you want, but in um, color, and you just you just cut cut it out, but fold, like and then fold it in half because then the front will be on the front and the back obviously is the part you use, and then you just put it into a one of those like trading card slips, um, and you're good to roll. All right. That's what most people use. Most people use, I use those, uh, what are they, top loaders? Yes. Top loader trading card um, things, and you just drop them into there, and it's um, it's pretty easy. Now, some... Early, early, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say, early on, I used to update the cards all the time, but now it's it's there's good stability now, so I haven't updated the cards for a long time. But um, and now that most of the artwork is done on the cards as well, like some of the factions still have uh, photos of the model rather than artwork. So my artists are slowly going through and creating artwork for those cards. But most of them are done now. I think there's only two factions without um, without mostly artwork on there now. Uh, one another question I had was some of the. Uh figures combine to form a larger figure kind of a gestalt oh, yeah. figure how does that yeah, work that's a cool that's a cool um part of bubble how does that work on the tabletop like i've got do i have to have my guys like uh within x, x so many inches of each other and does it take yes. a turn or how's it no work? yeah yeah so um so each of the models, like, well, most of the models, not all of them, but most of the models have what we call a super ability. So you've got, like, um, this – it's hard to explain over the phone, I guess, but on, on the stat card, you've got, like, obviously your points, your, your actual stats, your how much energy your model will generate. But there's also got, like, a super ability, and then you'll have special rules. So special rules are like your low-level abilities that are in play or, or activate or you can use at certain times or have those sort of more passive. But a super ability is something that you can only use once per game and it's like quite a powerful, you know, I don't know, power-up, I guess. So, for instance, uh, like some may have like a ram attack where you where you where you can get an extra boost to a... Like, it's a special move that you can hit another opponent and get extra a dice in the fo- in the follow-up close combat attack. Some might have air support where you can move huge distances, but then you can't... Um, you can only shoot. You can't actually move into close attack with anyone. Um, others may have, like, artillery where you actually get really good bonuses for long-ranged fire, but you're really restricted in everything else you can do. And there's armoured might which is like really makes you super deadly at short range. Um, but at long range, you, you're pretty much useless. Um, so there's one of those super abilities is called combine. So you, to combine, you have to use models of the same class, which is a special rule. Like you'll have a class, for instance, uh, to combine 
into Leviathan, which is an Atlantican combiner, you must have all five of the class Mud Warrior, um, which is Octo, Nebulous, Nami, Aegon, and Thermal. And they all must be within, uh, I think, one or two inches of each other when their activation comes, and it's spent like an activation. So each... Um, Say so, okay, it's like they come. They're all act. Incidentally, all combiners activate on the same strategy rating. So all of those um, mud warriors that I just listed were strategy rating seven. So when it comes to their turns, it's just like okay, Octo is the core combiner. He's the center, and he's got a special rule called core combiner. So all of the models are judged in relation to him. So if they're all within one or two inches of him. Then he activates and goes, okay, I'm combining, I'm using my combine thing. And then all of the models within his vicinity with that class pay their, their price in energy to combine. And you literally take all the models, once they've paid that price, you take all the models away and replace it with the combined model, which is Leviathan. So, and then how that works is that as the special, the super ability combine, is it doesn't have a stat card for that, but it actually um, takes the core combiner stats, which would be Octo in this case, and actually adds dice to those stats. So it adds, like, all combiners would get the same. So, for instance, I think it's like plus three to his range, to, uh, to his close attack, and plus two to ranged attack or something like, like that. So, and then it just activates as a model. So you use the core combiner stack card and you just um, put all your energy into that and to maintain it, each person, every every turn when they generate their energy for that turn, it all gets paid into into that and it must be spent to each turn to maintain that form. Okay. So, sort of, yeah, so it might have been a bit complicated in the explanation. Well, no, know. I mean, it makes it, it's hard to do and it's hard, it's, it's a big investment to keep them there as well. Yeah, you have to keep investing energy every turn to keep the combiner going. So it's not like something once you just combine, that's it. Um, you get all this energy for free. No, you have to keep investing every turn. So you can voluntarily, you know, go back to the individual models if you wanted by just not investing that energy each turn uh, in, in maintaining the form. So... So likewise, the individual stat cards are still used because if a model has taken damage before it becomes, um, before it becomes the combined model, it retains that damage on its stat card. So when the larger model is hit, the 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 damage is randomised between the five between the five models making up the combiner. So if the model that has already taken lots of damage takes its final damage, then it's destroyed and the combined form automatically separates. So you can actually take, like they're very powerful like combiners, but you can actually take them down if you've scored um, by, by scoring damage on the individual parts through the randomization of the damage. So once a full part hits its, its full damage quota, then it's, destroyed as a model, but the whole form can't maintain, and it, and it collapses into the remaining four models. Well, I guess uh, my last question would be, when does this Kickstarter launch? 
it launches the 20th of April Australian time. So in the US, it's probably going to be on the afternoon of the 19th. I think that was last uh, week. So it launched last week? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, you had me worried then. I was just like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, basically of the morning of the 20th here in Australia. I'll, I'll, it'll go live, uh, which will probably be on the afternoon of the 19th for you guys over there. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited. Like, obviously, it's, you know, we've got the whole COVID thing happening, but... No, it's 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 a pretty exciting thing to get to this level anyway. So, but um, and Bot Wars been 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 going pretty well this last year. So it's it's been it's been pretty surreal actually. Yeah, I I first ran into it I think late last year maybe we started oh, yeah, yeah. and I was just like oh this is kind of neat I'll just mention it you know and toss it out there and I think we've mentioned it a couple of other times like oh yeah they've got this now and. Look at this. And so, where yeah. did you where did you first see it? Ah oh, man, uh, maybe tabletop gaming news. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think through them, uh, I pull a lot of news stories from there to talk about. So that that was probably. I think it. just it. I think it just got a quick mention on there. I think when I was about to release the um, the start the first starter set. Maybe. I just remember going, okay, yeah, this is obviously influenced by this. This is obviously influenced by that. And I like it. You know, I'm like, yeah. this is like, I want this. I, I think this is really cool. And so I, I'd continue to see you kind of pop up every now and then. And then I ran into the uh, Facebook group and I've really dug like all the pictures and stuff people are posting. And so, yeah, I finally got around to ordering a rule book from a guy over in Georgia and uh oh, yep, yep. discover games yep and then when you were talk starting to talk about the kickstarter i'm like ah what the hell i've got time let's let's get him on the show and let's interview him and let's let's talk about <laughs> this so cool yeah awesome well i appreciate being on the show um i do you know like every now and then you get invited onto places which is really nice for people so uh it's still a sort of new experience for me yeah, and, and trust me it'll, it'll happen more yeah you wait you wait till like somebody uh bigger pick grabs you like beast of war or something then you'll really then you'll really <laughs> see something it'll really be a big deal so uh yeah so well i don't really send much stuff out like i i i i try to like i've i think in the the first maybe in the last year i have been contacted by a lot of people like asking for to review the game and like asking for free stuff all the time i normally don't um get involved in any of that I normally just, um, it's more about like people that have already got into it. I'd prefer to, um, do stuff that way. Like people that are already, like yourself, like you obviously got into it, all got, um, you know, you bought the rule book and stuff like that. So, and you're interested in it. That to me is, is they're the sort of people I prefer to talk to about that. But, you know, I guess it is, I guess everything is what it is. Um, so I hope you, I do hope that you enjoy the, uh, continue to enjoy the, Bot War Group, uh, we got. Are you going, going to go in the painting challenge that's that's coming up? Oh no no no! I always contract out for painting. Oh, dear. Always, yeah. I don't have the time or the skill, and uh, yeah, that's the whole thing. Oh, one yeah. one more thing I wanted yeah. to throw at you uh, before we end was I was yeah. going to give you three what I consider obscure 
toy, yeah. toy lines from the 80s that maybe yep. you might want to consider an influence later on. Maybe. I okay. So okay. Uh, the first one uh, is Air Raiders. Okay. I've not heard of those. I'll have to look them up. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, they, they were a very strange toy line. They came out, and they were supposed to have, like, a cartoon because that's how you sell yeah. toys. And yeah. it never happened. So oh, okay. all you had were these toys on the shelf. And, I mean, there's hardly any backstory, nothing on it. And yeah. like their whole gimmick was, you know, it came with a little plunger thing and you could hit it and make you shoot missiles or make the thing move. But whatever. Yep. OK. Anyway, that one's what I consider obscure. Uh, the other okay. one is Sectors, which is S-E-C-T-A-U-R-S. Oh, I- I rem- I think that they they spark a vague memory. They were basically these hand puppets, these awful bug hand puppets that had a guy riding on it. You would you would put right. your hand in there and you would you know you could move his mount around, and yeah, uh, yeah they were kind of insect people. Okay. And the last one, but certainly not the least, is Inhumanoids. Okay. Okay, I've heard of those. I, I encourage you to watch the cartoon and then go, holy okay. shit, this was made for kids? This is really dark. Because <laughs> so, like, some really gruesome, terrible stuff happens in it. And you're like, wow, okay. So, yeah, anyway. So. Yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah, I do, I do get requests for different stuff um, quite often, actually. I think there was, I'm trying to think of another one that was a, it was a UK Saturday morning cartoon. Someone said something, is it? Jason's Wheeled Warriors or something? Oh, no, it's it's a U.S. one. Uh, Jason the oh. Wheeled Warriors. That is that would be yeah. a pretty cool one. It's uh, I I know it because I'm a big fan of J. Michael Stratinsky, the writer. He he yeah. wrote comic books, TV shows, whatever. He created Babylon Five. Anyway, he wrote yeah. for uh, Jason the Wheeled Warriors. And uh, yeah. another one uh, he wrote for was Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, which oh, yeah, okay. it was a computer graphic slash live action kids show. That was the thing where its gimmick was your the toys could shoot at the screen and take damage and yeah so anyway oh okay so okay yeah no it sounds it sounds good I I've I've yet to find a way of fitting one of my favorite Saturday morning cartoons Captain Caveman into into Bot War I don't think he'll ever make it but it was it's always a nice thought um, to have old Captain Caveman in there but but I doubt um, I doubt that will ever happen. Well, maybe never say never. Maybe it'll happen. We'll <laughs> yeah. for well, there's it. about there's about uh, seven different um, uh, cartoon inspirations in Bot War at the moment. So, um, and then a ton of like uh, '80s prime time TV as well. Oh yeah, I, um, I, I noticed it, some in there, and that, I was like, oh, that's cool. Nice to see the guy there, and yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's been it's been awesome to speak to you. Adam, uh, thanks very much for giving me the opportunity. No problem. You enjoy your morning, and I'll get ready to uh, go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Awesome, mate. Thank you very much. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. And we're back through the magic of editing. Yeah, so. Wait, i got to finish my sandwich. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, that was like an hour-long interview or so. And uh, so, yeah, the obscure uh, toy lines that I mentioned, I'll have linked in the show notes. So, there you go. And uh, the next thing we had, I saw this pop up on Twitter, 
And I don't really want to go through all of these. I, this is the Board Game Golden Geek Awards for 2019. I mainly wanted to just talk about the uh, War Game and Best Podcast, because we're not on it. And um, maybe Board Game what? of the Year? Yeah. I know, right? And that's some shit. We're not on Best Podcast. Maybe we're getting our like our own just award period. They're like, no, we couldn't even like put you guys in for a whole, you know, this. Thing. No, no, <laughs> it's this whole separate thing. It's a whole separate thing. We're gonna build this whole. Con- we we were gonna build this whole convention around you guys. It was gonna be this whole thing, but you know, COVID nineteen happened. So sorry. Anyway, so looking at the the war game nominees. All right, so let's just look at board game of the year. Uh. I like, I mean, I recognize names. Like, you know, we talked about Marvel Champions. I recognize Clank. And Roy loves Tapestry. Well, and I've never actually played Tapestry, but. You have not? No. The, no. There, uh, there is a game on here that I did play on the Brett Spielwell uh, website called The Crew. The, or in German, it's Die Crew. The Quest for Planet Nine is a trick-taking game that's a co-op game. So you you go through several missions. So like, um, you have to have the commander has to take the green three. So it's a trick-taking game where you have to kind of finagle um, the right card to be taken by the right player. Okay. Is it? I've actually only played two of the games on this list. Which one? On Wingspan, the board game of the year list. Wingspan and what? No, I haven't played Wingspan. Uh, um, me and Roy. I've played... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've played Pax Pamir and I've played Marvel Champions. Those are the only two on this list that I've played. I own Tiny Towns. I've been intrigued by the Taverns of Tiefenthal. Um, and uh, the, the Crew, the Quest for Planet Nine, are the ones that I've played. Look, I... And Res Arcana. I was out of all this. The only thing that would cause me to click on it was Tainted Grail. Whoa, Tainted Grail! <laughs> uh, it caused me to click on it, and yeah, man, that thing looks pretty good. I don't know how it plays. Oh wow! It is an That's unforgettable awesome solo or cooperative adventure experience for one to four players. And uh, I don't know, man. It looks kind of cool. I've mm-hmm. never heard of it before this, and it looks like it must be a Kickstarter or something, because I see it going on the secondary market for expensive, and uh, yeah, like 200 euros, 140 euros, I don't know, maybe it's not even over here, so, okay, so yeah, that, let's just give Board Game of the Year the Wingspan, call it a day. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only other one I really wanted to look at, uh, scroll down to War Game, um... I own Command and Cover Colors Medieval. I like that system. I see uh, Volka Runka is on here twice, which is nice. Oh, that rhymed. And um, Peloponnesian War is Mark. Mark Herman. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. And uh, U Boot, I want. I you know I want to play it. And um, yeah, who would you give it to out of this, Rich? So, again, I've only played two games on this list. Uh, I've played Gandhi, and I've played... There was another one What I was just looking at. Oh, Tank Duel. Um, so it's not really fair for me to rank them, but from what I know about these games, 
I'd probably have to give that to Stalingrad 42, even though I haven't played it yet. But I'm familiar with the system. Um, it's the, the Mark Simonich Zakban system, and it's a game that I really want to get. I haven't haven't gotten. I haven't played it yet. But I mean, honestly, just now I really want to go look at a list of all the war games that were actually released last year and figure out how these became the nominees because that's the way I feel when I look at this list. The the what were people thinking? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How could they leave <laughs> this part out? Now, Stalingrad 42, you called I it... I think the, if you go to the Constant World forums, you're going to get a very different list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine so. You, you called Stalingrad 42 the the what system? What did you say? Zokbond. So the the Mark Simonich system of games. So there there's like uh, so there's Stalingrad 42, Ukraine 43, Normandy 44, Arden 44. Um, there's a couple others as well. Um, but they're based sort of the base mechanic of this is enemies have a zone of control, which is very common in war games. Yes. Um, but if two enemies are one hex away, then those zones of control link up to basically completely deny an enemy movement through that space. So they call it the Zoc bond because the, Z the zones of control bond with each other. Hmm. Okay. And basically you can sort of create like a fence of a defensive area that the enemy has to fight his way through. He can't maneuver his way through because of the Zoc bonds. Yeah, I think France 40 is the one. Yep, that's I, one, too. Yeah, I'm interested in that. So is it like giant maps? Is it, is it that kind of thing? Does it take a long time to play? Um, I mean, it doesn't take that long to play. My favorite in the series is Holland 44. It's a two-mapper, so, I mean, you're talking about, I don't know, like four feet long by maybe two and a half feet wide or something like that. Um, wow. You can play the full game. Um I want to say, I mean, it's definitely a game you could play in a day. So, by war game standards, it's it's not not super long or anything. Um, there's probably smaller scenarios too, but I don't know. They're they're not they're not light games, but they're not by war game standards. They're not super heavy. Okay, Roy, do you recognize anything on there? On which on the war game? Yeah, on the war game one. Uh, I've seen uh, U boot. And of course, I've heard about Command and Colors. Yeah, yeah, U Boot has really, really been on my radar for a while. Really interested in it, but weird thing is, is like people locally have bought it, but it's just never materialized on the table. So I don't know. <clears throat> I, I imagine I'll catch it on a sale somewhere, and yeah, hopefully I'll play it one day. Anyway, so the last thing was I just the the best podcast, which I'm no good at this because I don't listen to gaming podcasts i i just don't on the rare occasion i listen to podcasts it's usually true crime or it's like horror fiction so i do recognize heavy cardboard but that is the only i watch i watch them on youtube but i don't listen to their podcast that is the only name i know what do you think roy out of that you know i have never seen any of these or yeah. never heard of these I have listened to Heavy Cardboard before, but I don't usually. So very wrong about games I listened to for a while. They're, I mean, they're fine. Not my thing. Okay. Okay. I um, yeah, I don't. Uh, nope. I mean, I like the idea. Yeah, it's a cool name. Five games 
for Doomsday. I think that's where they actually interview people and they ask. Yeah, them, like, what I've heard that one before. I I, don't, I thought that one ended. Yeah, the la- their last episode was four nineteen. Well. Oh wait, no, no. Oh, of twenty twenty. Oh, I didn't know they were still recording. Not that they were done. done. All right. Well, yeah. We were we were robbed, regardless. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should have been on there. Uh-huh. So, uh So, moving on. Um, I want to make sure this is still going on because I still think it's going on for this month. Yes, it is a by fifty half off by Fire and Sword rule books. This is a system that I have owned and sold because I never got it to um, the table. But it seems really cool. It's Pike and Shot. It's um, those really awesome Prussia, uh, Polish hus- winged hussars. It's 15 millimeter. It all that stuff sounds great, and uh, yeah, and so basically, I just posted this locally. And I was like, "Look, uh, if anybody buys into this, let me know, because I absolutely will buy into it again." You know, as I am known to do. Yeah. But, what do you mean you posted this locally? Uh, in my local uh, gaming groups. Okay. Yeah, I may I like I maintain one, the Jackson War Gamers, and there's like one or two more. The weird thing is like the biggest one is like the Jackson area tabletop gamers, but it's all you ever I mean it has like the most people in it, but all it ever is is like the local stores posting like, "Hey, we're having a magic tournament" or, mm. you know, "Hey, we're doing this." You never actually see people get on there and go, "Hey guys, I bought this board game." You know, and it's great, and this is why. And does anybody want to play it? <laughs> so, eh. I guess, you know, we ha- there's some uh, meetup groups that I at least subscribe to their uh, their emails, but I don't really post anything. And I've never gone to any of the meetups. Eh, I, we, we have one of those, too. And uh, I don't think I've ever been to one. That, that kind of started first, and then we kind of migrated over to, like... Um, facebook more than anything okay and um yeah i post a lot on like mine i mean i in fact whenever people meet me like oh you're that guy that posts all the time so (laughs) it's like my local shop yeah me i know it's so weird my local shop has a um a page and so when there's like free stuff like free um RPG PDFs going on right now mm-hmm. or whatever. I'll post it over there. Or, you know, Games Workshop News, I'll post over there. Historical stuff, I post on, like, my own little group. And, yeah, so, anyway. So, speaking of board games, Kotaku posits that board games are having a bad time. Hmm. I, and this is this article will be linked in the show notes, I could see this, and the main, I mean, they cite like uh, Game Crafter, which is like one of the producer, one of the bigger producers of small scale games and stuff. They're shutting down for like three weeks, and you know all this different production problems and what have you are happening. I mean, I think the geek community, kind of in general, is having a lot of problems. I mean, we heard about like um, you know uh, Alliance not paying people. Um, now Diamond Comics is having trouble and all this stuff, so... I mean, unless you're into telecommunications, you're having a bad time right now. That's just mm-hmm. the way it is. And no one knows what this is going to look like on the other side, so... 
I mean, articles like this are fine, but it's not like this is breaking news because everyone is struggling right now. That's just that's kind of the way it is. Yeah. And oh, by the way, in the uh, the bot war uh, interview, I was corrected on my um, the stuff I said about Kickstarter on the last show. He's like, no, 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 I've done Kickstarters. Let me tell you, this is this is this, this is that. So it's on there. So <laughs> so you can hear that. Uh, speaking of things hurting, Origins canceled. Po- actually postponed until October, and they were going to do something online in June. Now, this is one that I've really wanted to go to. Uh, Roy, how far is Columbus, uh, Ohio, from you? It's maybe about uh, five hours, I think, something like that. And I want to say it's it's about the same as the, the Gen Con drive for me, so that's like 12, 12 13 hours for, for me. But this is one I've, I've wanted to go to, and... When I went to Gen Con that year, we talked about, like, well, you know, we should go to Origins next year, you know, and check that out. It How many is, people go to Origins? 20,000? Uh, 20,000. Uh, count me it's, out. It's a little bit more manageable than, uh, <laughs> than Gen, Gen yeah. Con. It, yeah, it is. And um, it's, it's way more industry-oriented, you know. So, I mean, there's, yeah, it's, it's more the guys showing off their... You know, new stuff, new lines, what have you, and uh, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it's five I, hours, 14 minutes for me. I was supposed to go to a small con in about a week and a half, and that's obviously been canceled. But some of us are talking about playing some games online, so we'll see. I don't know how you play online with 20,000 people, though. <laughs> and if you're going to a con with 20,000 people, it's a lot more than – I mean, you can, you can find some people to play games online with, but obviously you're not going to be able to go to the convention hall and the, the exhibitors hall and all that stuff. That's really the draw of a big con like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. the small con I was going to go to, the draw is seeing your friends and having a few beverages together. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way. <laughs> uh, although one of the local groups I follow in another state they are about fed up with the quarantine and are about to have a get together at somebody's house. Just like, eh, you know, they kind of fall in one of those groups where it's like, you know, this thing's a hoax. It's overblown. The media, blah, blah, blah. So eh. anyway, so, uh, the next thing we have and apologies for the spiky bits, uh, link, but games workshop has shut down. Golly. I never thought in my life I'd ever say that phrase. It used to mean so much to me. But, uh, yeah, they are no longer doing business until things clear up. I mean, I cannot imagine them not coming back. I can't imagine them not being able to survive it as much as they overcharge for what they sell anyway. <laughs> you know, but but that's just me. I mean, that, you know, that's kind Maybe of... Maybe they're a, just sitting on their big pile of money right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> like Scrooge McDuck. Uh-huh, they're swimming in their pool like that. But um, interestingly enough, Mantic Games is still shipping. So uh, people are buying in... A lot more people are buying into Kings of War because of it, you know. Uh, and I will say, with Games Workshop closed, that means any remaining stock... Uh, that's the other thing, is you say, you know, your friendly local gaming store is closed. Games Workshop is closed. So, Joe Schmo sitting at home that has boxes that are unopened, the value on them has increased. 
mm-hmm. by people that are sitting home, lucky enough to still be getting paid, and are wanting to like paint an army, complete this, that, or the other. So value is actually going up on used stuff. I found that interesting, and I'm like, well, I guess it's just supply and demand. So, well, I was actually thinking about that on the last article we talked about with you know the gaming industry, whatever that means to you, uh, being in trouble. I mean, honestly, with uh, with these twelve hundred dollar checks coming out to everyone, and a lot of places like GMT is basically just temporarily shut down, so they're not shipping anything out or anything. The second hand market, like BGG market, is doing great. I'm sure because a lot of people are buying used games right now. That's true, you know. And people, again, you're sitting at home. You yeah. don't you don't have anything to do but online shop. Yeah. One of my sort of holy grail games is a game called Downtown, and I won it so bad, and somebody put it on Facebook. Uh, I think it was just yesterday, and they wanted two ten for it. I'm like, uh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't pay two ten for that game. So I offered him less, and he countered, and I said, Look, I know it's a popular game. You're gonna get what you want for it. I'm, I'm not gonna. I can't pay that much though. So, but a lot of people have a little extra money right now. I mean, there are people. There are a lot of people out of work that are really struggling, but there are people who are still working that just got a check. I just got a check for twenty nine hundred bucks. I'm still working. That's just twenty nine hundred bucks for me. I'm not going to spend it all on games, but I bought something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that will absolutely stimulate the economy. Like the, uh, I think the Dems are uh, post posting a deal now that they want to pass, which would give I think every American. Two grand a month, yeah, for for like six months or something. I'm like, yes, I saw that. That yeah. would stimulate the economy, absolutely. Yeah. Not only would the people that need it be paying their bills and stuff like that, but other people would be like, well, I'm gonna buy downtown or I'm gonna buy this, you know. And yeah, it will absolutely stimulate the economy. So, uh, thinking about uh, uh, in response to the Games Workshop thing, I don't know if you heard about Henry C- uh, Cavill. Yeah, yeah, a, yes, I saw that. I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did see that there was a. Uh, uh, um, why can't I talk? What the hell is my problem? <laughs> I've infected him. I've infected him. So there was a uh, satire site that said that Henry Cavill demands forty million dollars to reprise role as Superman so he can afford an entire box of Primaris <laughs> Space Marine. That's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really popular game with a really popular IP, so I'm not surprised, you know, that the occasionally you see it, you know. Uh, but still, it is a niche game, so yeah, it's it's odd that every now and then there's some, you know, uh, celebrity or what have you that actually get in, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. the weirdest one for me, and I've tried to research it again, but I saw this on Instagram. Uh, there was a football player a couple of years ago that his thing was Saga, the uh, the historical game. He mm-hmm. played he played it, and I was like, "Wow, that is like really a big deal because that's not popular. That's pretty obscure." So, well, then there's the whole thing with Kurt Schilling, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He owned okay. ASL, and yeah. I remember back when I used to play World of Warcraft. There was I don't even remember who, but there were a few celebrities that played it, and I think. I think that's kind of the appeal is everybody has a fake name on there, so you never know who you're playing with. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you be you could be like, hey, did y'all see that new Richard Trapier movie? Like, <laughs> Wasn't it awesome? They're like, no, it sucks. I hate that guy. You know, and 
you'd be like, well, I, I kind of like him. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, absolutely, that's what I would do. Did you see that new Adam Chance movie? Isn't he better than Tom Cruise? No, he's terrible. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'd go cry. I'd be all... I'd be go cry on my big pile of money. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next thing we have, um, CMON audit could shut down company. That's a pretty dramatic statement. This, this yeah. article came from the 10th, which was uh, nine days ago. And uh, this has been an interesting discussion. People talk about like, well, you know, this, this happens, uh, in, in the industry. And the only thing it would really do would be take them off the Hong Kong stock exchange. You know, it's not like it would just be, they'd be over. Like if they found out, you know, uh, they actually found three problems and it was a distribution agreement with the transaction value of 1.5 million. Um, which for CMON, that's one Kickstarter. Right. Uh, the second is the rationale and substance of the significant increase in the prepayment balances as of December 31st. No details are provided here, but a prepayment is exactly what it sounds like, paying financial obligations in advance. Judging by the text, it seems to be that someone may have paid out a hefty chunk of change to someone that the company owed money. And then the last was other information as required by the auditors for their audit procedures on certain audit issues, including going concern. A going concern more or less means the company is able to keep the lights on, and it seems like there may be an issue here. I don't know. I mean, as much as I like to bash Cool Mini or not and just Kickstarter and what have you, ah. I don't know. It, it seems like at this point they're a little too big to fail. <laughs> I mean, is is that is that wrong for me to say? It's like you know, it seems to be they've got a pretty good business going on. Like whatever game they come out, they can get a bunch of people to pay them a bunch of money up front, and then they turn around and make it. It seems like you wouldn't want to mess up that deal, but maybe you. I don't know. Maybe you have an appetite for out-of-print GMT games, and you just, you know, you need a few million to satisfy it and buy up all the copies of Downtown. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, their response seems to make sense. I mean, I'm not an accountant. I do deal with auditors an awful lot at work, and, I mean, the stuff I read here seems like the same stuff that they tell me all the time. And it's like, okay, well, here's here's something we found, and you guys need to fix that. You need to tell us what your plan is to fix that. Okay, we'll do it. Yeah. So anyway, it was news. I guess it was bigger a week ago. But, hey, we just operate every two weeks because we're cool. <laughs> the next thing we have, um, staying in the, uh, the vein of board game, tabletop gaming crime, Tabletop gaming store owner arrested for violating lockdown order. And this happened in, this comes from the Tampa Bay Times. This is Pinellas Park, Florida. Kitchen Table Games is the location. And not an essential business. So this guy was, uh, let's see, it, it received multiple complaints since April 3rd that the store was still open despite being considered a non-essential business. That just lets me know that the people that maybe did game there or do game there don't like the person running it. Oh, it could have been the neighbors or something, too. 
Anyone can report that stuff. I guess, or maybe a rival thing, but I don't know. To me, it seems like no, I hate that guy. I mean, I've I've seen store places, stores been in them before that I would have absolutely reported because I hated he, the guy. He only right? gave me seven dollars for that card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, let's see. Deputies visited the store five times, found it was open, and watched employees interact with customers. Ew, yeah, and then they warned them. Each yeah. time. So, yeah. Six time was the charm. And they're like, nope. Time to get arrested, buddy. Galen, Galen Trentwood, 36. The owner of Kitchen Table Games. And, yeah. Looking a little creepy with his awful beard there. So, yeah. He just had a $500 bail. We'll see how this goes. So, I guess the last thing we have... Wait, we, we found Rocket Cow. We'll get to that in a second. Is Torchbearer. The second edition is coming soon to Kickstarter. And this is a pretty big thing. It is a, uh, I think the last edition came out five, six years ago. It's 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 a burning wheel system. And uh, this is very much a uh, old school renaissance OSR type thing. I think this will be a pretty big Kickstarter. So I don't know if you guys had ever heard of it. Yeah, Burning Wheel is. I, I've got the book, um, and I've looked at Torchbearer before. It's it's a system that I would love to play sometime, but it's it's pretty obscure, so I've never really gotten into it. I played Burning Wheel a little bit at one point, and Torchbearer is it's sort of based on Burning Wheel, but it's more of a more of a dungeon crawler. So right, and you have to like keep your torch lit. That's like the yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I um I bought it and the three main Burning Wheel books at Gen Con when I went and uh, kind of flipped through them. Haven't actually sat down and read them except um the Magic System I thought was kind of neat and I read yeah. through the Blue Book and uh, thought it was yeah cool. Burning Burning Wheel is a fascinating system. It's uh it's not not easy to jump into. It's it's pretty crunchy, um but that's I think it's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, in that, the guy specifically hates PDFs, hates the idea <laughs> of, yeah. of, like, it could be pirated and electronics and the future and whatever. Uh, so you could only get, like, his stuff in physical form. So, I, and the books are so big and long, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's been pirated, I don't know. But it would take somebody actually scanning it in and building the PDF, and maybe they don't want to do that. But um, or maybe it's too obscure for it. But yeah. So yeah, we'll continue to follow this. Maybe by the next show, it'll have launched. And uh, yeah, there you go. So Roy, what was the Rocket Cow game? Oh, so that was a video game called Just Cause. Just Cause. There's a there's a meme out there where this guy straps three or four rockets to a basically shoves him up the cow's ass and hits the go <laughs> button and has a it launches a cow into space nice as as, <laughs> as as you do so yeah all right well i guess uh wow that's the end of the show the 50th show about three hours hopefully you, you stayed along with us and uh yeah some guy i was talking with um on twitter about um the dying earth novels I commented that I didn't like it, and then later on he was like, oh yeah, I just hit episode 49 where you talked about the RPG and you said that. And I'm like, eh, yeah, so. Anyway, um, got that, and uh, I have a radio show 
debuting next Sunday, and it's actually on streaming radio, and um, I'll, yeah, it's called, uh, what is it called? I have to forget, because I had this name for it, and then I ended up not using it, and I always get them confused. Radio Platter is, is what it's called. I'm playing um, records from the 50s and 60s that I inherited from my grandfather, who was a DJ. So it's, uh, sure. I've got about 1,000 45s, and I dig through them. I have to physically clean them. Then I have to actually rip them from vinyl to digital and then build the show in Audacity. Oh, my God. You think this show is hard to edit. I mean, it's at least one long file that I have to do stuff. But when I'm actually, yes, I have, like, usually 20 songs in a show, 20 or 25. And then I have to do the intros. I'm having to do research on who it is. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Labor of love. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it'll debut on, um, and you can listen to it anywhere. Just, uh, it's online. But, see, that's the weird thing with music rights is I could not do a podcast with this because you have to have some deal like Spotify where you, that's, you can do on-demand streaming of music. Otherwise, I have to... I got picked up by a streaming radio thing and they have an ASCAP BMI license and so I can broadcast, quote-unquote, like that. But it cannot be on-demand. So, anyway, it's weird. Mm. It's new. So, and, uh, yeah, that's the show. We're still in quarantine, still doing stuff, and, um, yeah. So, anything else, guys? Um, <laughs> so, I heard about a guy in, I guess, in Great Britain who drove 250 miles to buy a bottle of Nuln oil. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that was real or a joke. I, but, but, yeah, apparently that's like a big thing amongst the GW players. And he got, yeah, he got you know, fined like $500. Yeah, something like that. They I got onto Amazon ta- trying to find talent some Talent in watches. a jar, something like that. Oh, yeah. I got onto uh, uh, Amazon trying to find some, like a set of washes, and they're all sold out. Like I wanted to, uh, the, you know, Vallejo makes uh, like eight different colors of wash, and I couldn't, they don't have it for, they're sold out, so... I don't know what I'm going to do. I really want to finish up my Star Wars uh, figures. That is, you know, interesting just how supplies, especially with Amazon, are, are going. Like, um, I ordered an air compressor and, like, thought, okay, you know, it, it's Amazon. It'll be here, like, May 9th. I mm-hmm. order, ordered it, like, a week ago. So, <laughs> you know, and it was prime. You know, it, it was so. Yeah, that's been interesting to see how things are going. I think uh, Jeff Bezos said like he was not restocking Amazon warehouses, or it wasn't a priority. To uh, he would do like essential stuff only. That was like the priority restocks. Hmm. So you know. Anyway, did you know Roy that? Uh, oh wait, Roy hasn't watched it. Richard watched it. Richard, did you know that was not Joe Exotic's voice in his songs? I mean, I figured it was it was either not him singing or I mean, they I don't know how it all works, but with auto tune and all that other garbage, it just didn't sound like him at all. Boy, I got to watch this show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the the music videos are one of the best yes. parts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. I'm probably going to have to sign up for Netflix again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so I can watch the the last season of uh, Stranger Things too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good night, folks. Good night. Good night, everybody. Be safe. <laughs>